Coming up on episode 106 of Pixel Gaiden. Banjo-Kazooie and Spyro face-off. Eric talks electric handhelds and board games. Some retro game shows come to mind. As well as their hosts. Do you even Nokia game, bro? Lots of new retro games are out. We get updated on some new Pico 8 finds. Your NES can get on the net. And Eric joins the sharp side. Another visitor. Stay while. Stay forever. Welcome to Pico And Hoffman. That's right. Welcome to yet another special episode of Pixel Guide In. Eric, are you down with PGP? <laughs> I am down with PGP. <laughs> the Pixel Guide In podcast, of course. Exactly. I thought you were talking about the encryption, but okay. Oh, oh no, I'm talking about our show, you know, because we're self-serving. My name is Cody Hoffman. I am Eric Nelson, and this is the lovely month of May. What does that and mean you know to what's, you? You know what's in May, don't you? Don't you, Cody? Um, Mother's Day and well, that, that, May flowers. Since April showers brought May flowers, I was talking more about Cinco de Mayo, baby. Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> exactly. Our our friends to the south are celebrating Cinco de Mayo, fifth of May, which is a yearly celebration. And often people think that that is about. Mexican independence, and it really isn't. Their Independence Day is in September, but they uh, they uh, had a victory over the Second French Empire, and that is why in 1862, and that is why we celebrate Cinco de Mayo. And I found out a little fact that we celebrate it a lot more than they do. <laughs> it's kind of a second, <laughs> I kind, kind of a secondary that. holiday. It's for America, them, so. man. Come on now. Yeah, exactly. The only holiday bigger is the Super Bowl. Exactly. But I do want to tell you that all the beers I'm having this episode are reflect our friends to the South. Ooh, okay. Look at you get all themed. Exactly. Me- meanwhile, exactly. I once again forgot to purchase beers for the episode. So I did, <laughs> you did twice the homework because I did none of it. What I will be doing is drinking brown drink. I have a selection of whiskeys to rate and partake in behind me. So Excellent. I am, I am still, and I still have a Coors Light here because it's Pixel Guide. I mean, <laughs> We're going to be drinking beer. Exactly. It can't be completely beerless, but uh, yeah, as soon as I can open mine, I'm ready. Perfect. Everybody, if you don't know where you are, you are on the Pixel Guide In Podcast, your number one place for fun things about retro video games and retro-inspired video games. Um, we unfortunately do not have Mr. Tim Drew this episode or next episode. Uh, Tim's taking a, a one-month hiatus here. And uh, we look forward to having him back next month. It sounds like he's already actually putting together some stuff for the next show. So excited about that. But we miss you, Tim. Hope to see you back again soon. Coming up on this episode, episode 106, we, of course, are going to start, as we always do, with some quick questions. Uh, we have an amazing Patreon song to, so so we can honor and celebrate our Patreon followers who give us the monies. Um, yes, I, I got a little jazzy again. Got a little jazzy once oh, again. I- I love the jazz. Uh, we have an Eric's take. What were you talking about this time? 
I'm talking about electronic games from my childhood. Um, not video games, but electronic games, handheld or board games. Interesting. Okay, little twist, yeah. little twist. Yeah. After that, we'll be catching up on some news, as Eric and I like to do for the first show each month. And then we have a battle of the systems. Uh, now, this battle was one I chose, and it is kind of a battle of the alternate, how do I want to say it? Like alternate mascot battle of systems for 3D platformers. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say they're they're 3D platformers, but they are kind of the kind of the sub mascots for each of the systems, respectively. Yeah, yeah. So I, I honestly, I, I've never played Spyro the Dragon, so I wanted to find a way to mix Spyro the Dragon in because I selfishly wanted to play it uh, on the sure. PlayStation, and it's the first one, so that is our first game. And I'm like, what can we, what can we pit that against? And it came. Uh, it actually took me a little while to figure it out, and it was very obvious when I saw it. I'm like, oh, Nintendo 64 is Banjo-Kazooie. I hear great things about that game. And we're talking about two games that are kind of in that transition from from 2D platformers where people were learning how to do 3D. And um, there's very few games that did it well in in uh, in that generation of systems. And these are two that are highly regarded, and they're not your Mario and your Sonics. So that's how that came about. So we'll be covering that as well as many other fun things and shenanigans as we like to do here on Pixel Guide In. Anything to add, Eric, before we kick things off? I'm ready to go. In that case, things have been kicked when we start off with Quick Questions. Quick Questions! All right, in this episode of Quick Questions, uh, our first one comes from our Discord family looks like yeah. mitsuyama which i love, through this I love one out questions here. yeah i love questions from the discord and from patreon subscribers now what i will say eric before you read this question out loud to us the the original mm-hmm. idea of quick questions is that mm-hmm. we do a lot of kind of fun fluff stuff and catching up on our days and you know what's going on this month and we it, we do that up front in the show therefore if you're a new listener hops on or somebody who's like i want to hear some video game stuff they don't get to hear a lot of video game stuff until we kind of get rolling and then we have got like three hours of backlog video game stuff we eventually get to. Quick questions. The idea was, let's talk about video game stuff right up front, at least real quick. But <laughs> right. apparently that, that has gone lost because although these are very good questions and I'm excited to, to answer them, they are not video game related. So if we can put some sort of spin on that so we can talk video games, let's try to do that as well. How about that? Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> what's, the, what's Mitsuyama's question? So Mitsuyama asks, if you could be a contestant on any game show from any time, which would you choose? And I did a little pre-thinking on these questions, Eric. I actually prepared this time. Oh, wow. So I knew what I was talking about. So I don't know why. So first of all, when you think think, um, game shows, you know, obviously you think of your your Jeopardies and your wheel, uh, I was going to say wheel of time, uh, wheel of fortunes. Maybe your uh, price is right, right? Uh, but the one that popped into mind, I actually had two. Uh, well, first one was Supermarket Sweep. Do you remember Supermarket Sweep? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I've yeah. always wanted to be on that game. And I know they give them rules that they don't talk about for the show. Because as right. a kid, I'm always like, why don't you just take this, the shopping cart? So first of all, it's, it's a, if no one's heard of it, I'll get there. 
it's a game show where you have shopping carts and you're basically it's like human gluttony uh you're going through a supermarket it's like how much money can you rack up as quick as possible that's pretty much the game i mean it starts with some lame stuff about trivia about how much stuff costs and things like that but the idea is you get to the end of the episode and it's like the whole second half of the episode and you're running around a supermarket grabbing expensive stuff uh everyone would go back and grab the big hams those are worth big money um yep you can only get so many of those and then if, if you got the coffee you apparently had to like sit there and grind the coffee and wait for it coffee was worth like 150 bucks for some reason even though that's not accurate but but yeah. you couldn't grab other <laughs> stuff while the coffee's grinding um yeah. i always wondered why you wouldn't just run down the aisle and put your hand out and just as everything hit your hand just fall right into the cart and go take it back you had to take it and push it through the checkout and grab a new cart I'm like why don't you just grab all the stuff at the beginning and just throw it in there and keep doing that yeah there's there's rules against it apparently so i always wanted to be on the supermarket sweep but if we're going to go a little further back in the way back machine uh, i would also choose double dare good old double dare i always wanted to be a double dare as a kid and it killed me later on when they started doing family double dare they killed the original yeah. double dare and i don't want to have okay. to I depend on my family get that garbage out of here i want to do yeah you know run up the slide and go out at the nose and dig through the boogers for the flag by myself. Anyways. That's why I wouldn't be on family feud. Cause I'm not, I'm not down with, 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 uh, not down with to, the feud. No, nah, not down. I mean, I'm down with the, the feud. Cause I liked Richard Dawson. He was on family feud. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was on there. Right. Uh, I don't know the names, but I'll get there. I'll yeah. get there. We'll get there next. Cause the next question has something to do with that. So, but what was your, what was your contestant, on a game show of choice here. I, so it would either be because the two I watched a lot as a kid was um, either The Price is Right because Bob Barker and The yeah. Price is Right. And plus, for some reason, my family watched that one a lot. Um, that's a classic. Um, but I also, uh, do you remember Pressure Luck? Is that the no whammies, no whammies, no whammies stop? Or no, I'm, that's the triangle. Or is it, it? Exactly. That is it. Okay. Okay. No, it's the no whammies, no whammies stop. And that's kind of video game-esque. In fact, I think that got turned into a video game, if I remember right. Because um, that was a cartoon character that looked kind of like the Noid from Domino's. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I I, uh, I think that I'd probably be a contestant on either one of those. There you go. Because I also remember a game, a video game show. I think it was on Nickelodeon, but it was like Nick Arcade. That's what it, So, yeah, it was Nickelodeon. And I wanted that to be about video games. And they had like a couple of questions per month that are actually video game related. But then it was a ton of advertising and a ton of, you know, the big thing at the end of that was they would go into, they'd jump into the video game screen. And you basically had these kids that I don't know what they were on, but they're basically playing the video game without knowing what they were doing. Like like (laughs) seeing the actual video game. So you're watching these kids. It looks terrible. It just, it never worked for me. But, um. I heard there were some very good video game related game shows and stuff in England, but we did not get them here, unfortunately. Uh, I will ask so you. The, I'll ask yeah, you the, the follow up here. From, yep, from is to Scooby, and he asks a follow up on Mitsuyama's question: Who is your favorite game show host of all time? How about you take this one? Um, I think that. I probably the, my favorite one. I mean, I really like Bob Barker. I thought he was funny in ha- Happy Gilmore. <laughs> well, remember that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, Bob Barker's pretty cool. But um, my favorite game show host of all time. I mean, I always thought Richard Dawson was pretty suave because he'd go and kiss all the ladies all the time. And you got to remember, <laughs> so, I'm watching like game shows from the '70s, and, and, and I have so. that down here because I wrote down least favorite. I wrote creepy guy from Family Food who used to fondle everybody. 
That's yeah, on my that was Richard right. Dawson. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'd probably pick Bob Barker. I think he was pretty classic. Although, and the dude from Jeopardy uh, that recently passed away, he was a pretty. He was pretty. That, he was pretty iconic. Oh, I'm trying to remember his name right now. Pat Sajak yeah, was um, Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, he was Wheel Alex of Fortune. Alex Trebek. Oh, yeah. He, Alex Trebek, yeah. There we go. It's and amazing the, that we know that. And more awesomely, like on SNL, when they would do Alex Trebek, oh, and Will Ferrell would do Alex Trebek. That that's my, classic. That's my favorite is, uh, yeah, is, uh, it was Norm MacDonald as Burt as, uh, Reynolds. Reynolds. And then yep. uh, uh, Daryl, I can't think of his name right now, but he would do Sean Connery. Yeah, oh. Sean I'll take swords for 500. <laughs> That's S words. Um, I'm going to go. So I didn't have a good answer. I, I don't care for a lot of the hosts. So if I can't choose the SNL right. versions of them, this is yeah. really random, but it's the only one that comes to mind. And I don't, it, it's not even the host because the host isn't even that much of a thing. But there is a show on Nickelodeon called Guts. Yeah. Do, 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 do you have it? Guts. No. Anyways, that was the song, and it was like this uh, two-on-two, like either brothers or sisters or whatever, uh, battling with these like little indoor activity things. And they would always go, "Let's go to Mo for the rules, Mo." And then Mo is this girl from Australia, and I loved her accent, and she'd explain the rules, even though they're the most generic things in the world for every game, every time. So I'm gonna go with Mo right. from from Nickelodeon Guts. <laughs> You know, I know another no one that another one that came up because I I have to admit I've never seen I've never watched Nickelodeon we didn't have that channel oh you didn't see the final where they go and they have to climb the aggro crag the extreme volcano neon volcano that spits rocks down at you while you try to climb it right didn't okay. see that okay. but it reminded me of like um, and this was I I know this was in the I think seventies or early eighties there was um, in fact it was I just pulled it up seventy six to eighty eight. Battle of the Network Stars. That was always fun to watch. My family would watch that. Did you ever that, see that? I've heard of it. I've heard of it. That's when yeah. celebrities would actually like hop on game shows, like real celebrities. Yeah, but it, and they were usually <laughs> physical, physical games, like run through this obstacle course or, That's or crazy, yeah. kayak here or there. Bring um, that back. So they would, it would be an actual physical course. So that, that was fun to watch, too. Like it. All right. Full circle. Well, we got one more quick question we're going to get to here because yep. we actually have five from, from viewers, which I appreciate. Uh, and we'll talk to you about that right after. Uh, I wanted a quick bit of, a, of feedback I wanted to bring in, even though it's kind of misplaced right here, but I did want to bring this in. Uh, and you can speak more to it, I think, Eric, than I can. But in our Discord, which I need to frequent more often, I'll be honest. Luckily, you and Tim are in there supporting Pixel Guide better than I am. I was skipping through there because I had, I'm had i catching up on a bunch of stuff I missed, and I see a beautifully rendered Commodore 16 or Plus 4 got game I've never seen before. Somebody right. posted a picture of it. A game called Stringy Lori. Stringy Lori. <laughs> now, see, I thought you just made that up, Eric. I didn't realize it was an actual <laughs> Plus 4 game. Yeah, I did make that up, but... Our friend Pajaco sixty five oh two, he came. He rendered this uh, tape cover for the game Stringy Lori, and it's it's actually pretty amazing. And he even have screen has screenshots of the game. The game looks really good. 
the game looks really good. And, and he put a little review on the back that said it was only two out of ten. Two out of ten? Uh, <laughs> like, I want to scratch my eyes out or something? I can't remember. Yeah, he said that, something but... like, wouldn't even work well as a doorstop. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> But the cool so, thing is he did a he revised it and came out with a uh, revision two of it and it has our pictures in it which I have no oh, idea man. where he got our pictures from that's pretty amazing I need to I haven't seen that yet I need to do that so for anyone listening who hasn't heard uh, we have a, a it's an inside joke and it's never going to be as funny when we say it now but we were trying to figure out what uh, one of the questions was what is the British name for you know a game that I can't remember what it was and Eric's like I have no idea Stringy Lori. Yeah, because we were talking about it was hilarious. We were talking about um, British words like that didn't really, you know, and we don't have lorries and 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 we don't have lorries here. Um, so yeah, I remember we we said stringy lorry, and that became part of the pixel guide and lore. And Pachaco has immortalized that in a in a cool game cover. Which, if you're on our Patreon, come on in because it's posted in our Patreon forum, and it looks awesome. It's got a, a truck with like a spaghetti noodle paint job and extra spaghetti noodle, noodles are hanging around the sides and stuff. And the gameplay looks really good. He actually put a description of the game and it's like, uh, people are trying to attack you and, but while you're driving down the street, like, like, it looks like a spy hunter type of game because there's screenshots yeah. and everything. And there's a little like rope you're dragging behind you. And it's like they're trying to cut your, your, your stringy lorry <laughs> and you're trying to keep, I don't know. It, it looked entertaining, but only got two out of 10 stars according to that one Commodore magazine. So I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, good times. Speaking of your Commodore 16 or plus four, Eric. Yeah. Nice segue. If you have one of these, uh, underappreciated machines and you hope to someday play the future version of Str- stringy, stringy lorry. lorry. Which I'm sure at this point someone's going to make happen. It's going to be the number one hit of 2024. Exactly. Uh, you're going to want to get yourself down to RetroRewind.ca because they've got all of the parts and pieces you're going to need to keep your Commodore 16 or Plus 4 computers or any Commodore computers in tip-top shape. For example, did you know that they have uh, not only capacitor kits and everything you need for your Commodore uh, Plus 4, they have the Commodore 8-bit keyboard tester, for only $22, and this thing is, I mean, you're getting a lot of bang for your buck here. There's lots of um, uh, chunky bits and pieces on this thing. So you can plug in your keyboards, press all the buttons, test, make sure all the resistance are, are working well. They've got uh, open 16 carts, so you can make your own C16 cartridge. Um, those are only Which 6 be bucks cool. right now. Yeah, I, I keep wanting to make my own cartridges for systems. Um, and they make those for, for all the, I think all the Commodore computers, they have all these cartridges and things for all the computers, but, uh, you need, you need new edge pins on the back ears because you, you bought a, a C16 off of eBay for $10 that a guy left in the backyard and it's all rusted out. Well, we got a 24 pin user port edge connector on here for you as well. And if you have a computer that, uh, no matter how much you tinker with it, it's just not quite working right. You can just send thing to retrorewind.ca. And for a very yep. low price, and I do mean a low price, Frank or one of the other guys there will get it fixed up for you and ship it back. It's a lot quicker than you think, and he does excellent work. Take it from Eric, who is utilized on many occasions, and from Future Cody, who has a box full of things that I want to send out there. The box of broken dreams. It is the box of broken dreams. Also, keep RetroRewind.ca in mind for any of your Tandy Color computer needs as well. And... Eric, I heard that you have a secret when it comes to checking out at RetroRewind.ca. 
first you log in. You have to log in. So set up an Key. account, log in. And then if you use the code PG10, you get 10% off. Eric, you down with PG10? I am down with PG10. I'm down with PCP. Yeah, you know me. <laughs> um, thank you very much to our show sponsor, RetroRewind.ca. Absolutely. All right. The last one comes from Stringy Lori himself, Pajaco6502, who asks, what is the most bat poop crazy game (laughs) that you've ever played? And did you enjoy it? I'm going to let you go first, Eric. I'm very curious on this one. Yeah. So I do have a specific game, but I, I, there was an era of my life when I was, believe it or not, and you might find this very hard to believe, Cody. There was an era of my life where I was a dirty pirate. No, not Eric. And during during my dirty pirate phase, I would log in in the middle of the night on my 2400 baud modem and download all sorts of pirated games. And then in the morning, I would try them out. And most of the games that I would try would be bat poop crazy. <laughs> a, I didn't have instructions for him because that was a dirty pirate. That makes all those B, old games crazy, by the way, if you don't have the instructions. And B, like the Commodore 64, which was my platform of choice back then, literally has like 23,000 games in the library, I think. I mean, at last count, I think there was there's like 23,000 official games or something, and, something and around growing. that number, right? I would say 22,000 of them are garbage. <laughs> And it's true. I mean, most. uh, And so, like, when I would download these games, you know, pirate boards were infamous for trying to get the latest wares, you know. So you would they would they would take anything. Oh, this is a new game and whatever. So I remember in particular one time I had a buddy spend the night at my house. This was like in seventh grade. And we downloaded a game. And then in the morning we were eager to try it. And it was called the Human League. And. We sat there because it looked cool, and I think it was uh, – I can't remember the, the guy who did the Sid music, but it was awesome music. Okay. And it could not figure out what the heck was going on in this game. Like we were just Human like there's things, there's things flying around, and your guy is doing something weird. And um, I, I, I could not – it was the most crazy game I think I had tried and um, I, I could, we couldn't figure out how to do it. So um, yeah, that might be the game right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's called the human league being boiled. <laughs> nah, see, I don't know if that was it. And maybe I'm getting the name wrong. No, no, that's the name of the song in there. Yeah. Being boiled. Sid's used in this release. Oh, it was okay. Okay. Chris Hulesbeck. Um, but that was the game because I remember the title screen on that. And I, I tried to figure it out for days because it takes all night to download these games. And I was just like desperate to want wanted that game so badly to be good. You know, I wanted to show my friend, hey, look, I download cool games and it was not a cool game. So That's funny. Anyway, all right. so that's my I story. A, I have a couple. So first of all, okay. I have one true yeah. answer, but really quick. There's kind of two ways to look at this. Is it crazy because the subject matter is nuts? Or because right. the art direction's all over the place, or the gameplay itself is crazy. There's lots of ways it can be bat poop crazy. So True. if I'm going purely on subject matter, uh, I could throw out games like um, Choaniki. You seen that one where there's a bunch of uh, Japanese bodybuilders flying through the air, like spitting oh, things? Yeah, 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 that's right. Uh, there's I thought Parodius. it sounded familiar. Yeah, game another sh- yeah. shmup, Proteus, where it's just bizarre 
things happening. You, you could be a bottle yeah. of milk that shoots at things that, you know, that they, like a pirate ship with a cat for a head that meows at you yeah. and you can get damaged by its meows when the word, actual letter meow hits you. It's bizarre. You know what else is bizarre, Eric, if you think about it, is Mario. You're an pl- yeah. Italian plumber with an identical brother with slightly different color hair who yeah. is running through getting mushroom power-ups and jumping on turtles and the whole thing is really bizarre if you think about it um i also want to throw out ribbit golf what is it called ribbit golf that 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 nintendo 64 uh i'm sorry gamecube nintendo gamecube game that we we tried a little of yeah that was really cool but uh but bizarre but ultimately i'm going to go with a game that is weird subject matter kind of similar to proteus but gameplay is bizarre to me and it is actually a treasure release on the sega genesis called dynamite heady it's a okay. semi-known game, a, a fairly yeah. popular game, and because it's treasure, I was all excited. I own a physical copy of it to this day. Um, man, I don't—you can't even explain this game. It's kind of a platformer, run and gun uh, thing where you're this weird yellow creature that throws his head, but you can get different power-ups temporarily where his <laughs> head gets different abilities. So you throw his head, and it, they do different things. And it's again, it's like Parodius when it comes to the fact that. There is weird stuff for no reason uh, on on the screen at all times. Everything from animals to props to <coughs> geishas to there's some there's some army toy soldier guys, and the gameplay is just constantly changing. Um, there's so much I think on the you screen. Picked this on a, you picked this on a six good games, I think. I think I did. I think I did, uh, and it's enjoyable. That's that's why it's 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 bat poop crazy. Uh, but yeah. it's enjoyable, but I can't fall in love with it because I never know what's going on. Every level is has a different purpose and objective, and uh, the mechanics never change, but the set pieces change so much that the point of what you're trying to achieve changes all the time. I, I can't explain it, and it's just crazy. It's bat poop crazy. <laughs> like here's a lo- here's a level in the middle of nowhere where you have to make five shots. You're like, what do you mean make five shots? And oh, there's baskets above you, like basketball nets. Oh, they're moving at different speeds. What? Oh, now basketballs are shooting out, and I have to throw my head at the basketballs to try to hit them up in the air to try to put them in the baskets. And why am I doing this? Oh, now there's bombs. Like it's just stuff constantly, and it's, it's always like changing. Yeah, you never know what's what to expect. I mean, I, I, some, I'm, Eric is watching some of the video of it right now. Um, and then there, for some reason, there's like some kind of theme where I guess you're. Here's a huge, like creepy baby doll head. It looks like it, now you're like a <laughs> shmup. It's kind of a shmup all of a sudden for no reason, and the baby's throwing up little yellow starbursts. That I don't know. Um, and now his head's splitting open, and there's a human man inside of it. No idea. This game is bizarre and super weird and absolutely worth playing. By the way. Um, but I've never played. I think it's a game that you really have to play a bunch to kind of get to know what the next level is every time, so you can figure out how to beat it, and then you kind of fail forward each time you play it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's bat poop crazy, and it's treasure. So you know it's actually a good player, and they make games that are for gamers, for kind of hardcore gamers. So you have to get good to play this game. Um, yeah, here's a level cool. where like gravity flips upside down now. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I don't even know. Just stuff. All kinds of stuff. Random. Random stuff. Cool. Now it's a good one. And that is quick questions, which means, Eric, that it's time for us 
to let you know how you can get a hold of us, hear a little song about our patrons, and listen to Eric's take. You can get show information on our podcast at pixelguiden.com. You can also listen to our show on the Amigos Retro Gaming Network at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos Podcast. You can reach us on Twitter using at pixel underscore guiden. You can reach Eric at the project. That's at D-U-H-P-R-O-J-E-C-T. And you can reach Cody at oddball, which is at O-D-D-B-A-1149. You can also reach me, that's Tim, at Sanxion, and that's at S-A-N-X-I-O-N. Please review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or any of the other podcatchers that you use. It really helps us out. You can email us on podcast at pixelguiden.com. And we love any feedback. And also, please let us know if we've done anything wrong and we'll mention it on the next show. We also have a Patreon account set up, so if you wish to support the show financially, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pixelguiden. You can support us with as little as a dollar all the way up to infinite dollars. If you do so, you'll get access to the Amigos Retro Network Discord server, where all kinds of cool chat is happening about not only our show, but the other shows, such as Bright Castle and, of course, the Amigos, um, amongst other shows. And there's various other topics in there, um, everything from for sale to music to uh, high score contests, things like that. If you support us at the $3 or more tier, we like to announce every supporter at that level here on the show in a way that we can only do here on pixel guide and using our random adjective generator and this month we're back in a jazzy mood the steep mark richard sign and the vast david modelac and the breakable scott part former Pushy Roy Fielding and Educational Josh Malone and the Edible Matthew Ackerman Violent Daniel James The Wiry Ten Mark Deranged Eric Sandgren The Pointless Maciej Sosnowski and Historical Retro Gamer Nation Pixel Gaiden You know it's gotta be Pixel Gaiden The one and only Pixel Gaiden Inject it straight into my veins Pixel Gaiden Oh, the sturdy Adam from Commodore Chronicles Giddy Parajoid and basic Mitsuyama Charming David Vincent Lyrical Jason Holland And that spicy and stiller Adjoining Mr. Toast The hapless Paul Jacobson Lean Ram, okay, Ram, okay, Sore Bra 
giant arsenal tent. More, we've got the nutty David Cavalry. Dip it in sugar, mama. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. Be a select star. That's the way you gotta do it when you're playing with two players. Yeah, you know. This is Eric, and I am recording my Eric's Take for the month of May. And I picked a, a, a real cool one this month, I think at least, because it brought up a lot of nostalgia for me. Um, it, I wanted, What I wanted to do was cover electric games that I had as a kid. Now, these games aren't video games, but they are electric or electromechanical games that I had. Some were handheld games. Other ones were board games, but they featured electronic components. And so I'm going to cover those this month. Uh, and I hope that while you're listening to this, maybe you will look these up online because some of them are so cool. Uh, you really have to look at either YouTube videos or even just images of these games. So anyway, let's get on our way. So the first one I wanted to talk about is also the one I've taken the deepest dive on doing research about, and it's because I had very strong memories of this, but it turns out my memories weren't as reliable as I thought they would be. So at first I mischaracterized this. It was around 1978, and I got a handheld electric baseball game. So Immediately, I thought it was the Mattel baseball game, which is a pretty popular thing if you look it up. It's a little handheld. It's I think it's green, and it has a baseball diamond for a screen, and there's different buttons to do different things in baseball, like swing or, or whatever. And the longer I stared at that, <laughs> the pictures on the internet of this device, the more I realized this is not the one I had. And so I began going down this rabbit hole of looking up uh, handheld games in the 70s, handheld baseball games, and it turns out I found the right one. The right one is called the is called Sears Baseball. And it is uh it was a joint operation between Bandai and Sears, Bandai being the pretty popular video game uh publisher. So I, th I thought that was kind of strange, but this is it for sure. And the more I looked at it, um, I went on eBay and found a couple pieces that are on sale. Um, but this game is, it's funny because it is nothing like the Mattel one. It is, 
basically a game where it's also dark green and has like a yellow uh, plastic highlight around the, the diamond. But there are buttons in the little LEDs that light up in the outfield. And what you do is you hit the play button and it just randomly picks um, something that happens like a home run or a strikeout or a single or a double or a fly out or whatever. Basically what happens is when you start the game, the the LEDs start bouncing around and it's kind of like a press your luck kind of deal. You you hit the button again and it will the button will stop on what you think. So really it's just a <laughs> it's just a press your luck game, but for the longest time this was my favorite toy as a kid and just doing this research has brought me right back like the memories just flowed in of this game. The funny thing is there's an on off switch. There's these little um, sliders that move your, that highlight They're They're, they're not digital at all. They're just these little sliders that tell you where your man is on the base. And then there are little dials at the bottom, mechanical dials that you could keep score and outs. Um, I had so much fun with this game as a kid. You got to realize I got this in 1978. So I was seven years old. But seven or eight, I this was my favorite game. Took one nine volt battery. I remember that very clearly. Um, I I just I have the most amazing memories of this. So please look it up. Uh, it's called the Bandai Sears Baseball Handheld Electronic Game. Um, this thing uh, it it brings back so many great memories. In fact, I when I was doing my research, I found one fully working on eBay. Uh, they were asking 26 bucks for it. I talked, it was a best offer kind of deal. So I offered them $20 and boom, they took the offer. So I should be getting this within the next couple of weeks. And I hope to talk about it maybe in July episodes of the show. Another one I want to mention briefly, even though I didn't own it was my best friend at the time did have the Mattel football game. And I remember going over his house quite a bit and playing, uh, that game. And that one was a lot of fun. Um, you can look it up. It's just the Mattel electronic football. It came out around 1978 as well. Um, I do remember the LEDs. You looked like a little line. Um, and there were various buttons. It was basically a dodge kind of game. You would hike the ball and then you would run and just try to dodge and try to get as far as you could to make a touchdown. Uh, but I remember playing that one. That was a blast, but I didn't really own it, so I'm not going to go too much into it. Uh, the next game I wanted to talk about was Digital Derby, and I know I have talked about this game on the show before. I don't remember in what context, but I do remember talking about it. It was made by Tomy. It was called Tomy Digital Derby around the same time they came out with another black handheld that was called Blip, which was kind of like a... You would just shoot a ball across the screen, almost like a Pong-style game, but... It would curve and you could catch it in different numbers, but I didn't have Blip. I had Digital Derby, and what Digital Derby was was a mechanical game that just had a light that just flashed when you crashed, but cars would come down. Well, imagine this. It's a black rectangle that you hold in your hand about the size of a small tablet, and it had a steering wheel at the bottom with a gear shifter that had N, and I think gear two and gear three, maybe one, two, and three. I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was one, two, and three. And you were trying to complete as many laps as you could before the timer ran out. 
So near the top of the game was a little timer that when you started, the timer would start to go down. Shifting it into gears like three would make the cars come down faster. The cars were not digital. They were on a um, kind of like on these gears that rotate in the machine. So there was kind of like this very <laughs> mechanical uh, tape that the tape ran through these gears so the cars would just come down, and when you collided with them, there was a red flash at the bottom. Now, you could stick the game into neutral, and it would cause the cars to go backwards like they were going ahead of you. Because sometimes cars would come down two at a time, and there was no way you were going to get around them. And so you had to quickly shift gears into neutral to make the cars go up the screen in different speeds so that they would create gaps, if that makes sense. Again, if you look these up, it'll probably make a lot more sense. Um, I absolutely loved this game. And when I think about, when I think of my childhood, this was the game I think about the most. I played this nonstop. I loved this. And again, this came out in 78 as well. Um, I think I got it after the baseball game I just talked about though. And I played this thing. It took, I know it took, um, I think it was the D batteries my yeah I think it was the D could have been the C could have been C batteries I didn't look that up but the tragic story about this device was that when we moved I I was living in Florida at the time uh, my dad was stationed at um, a base in Florida and we mo- we were moving to California and we had to put all of our stuff in storage so that we could find a house. And it took us about a year before we found a house to move into. So all of my toys and all my stuff was in storage um, when we moved. And as a kid being again, seven or eight years old, I forgot to take the batteries out of it. And I'm sure it was stored in a very hot warehouse um, in California. And when we pulled it out, the batteries had literally exploded inside of the machine and it wasn't salvageable in any way. So I, I was the toy I wanted the most. It was the first thing that I was looking through in all my boxes and it was dead. So I probably had that a good year or two before it died, but I remember it very clearly as it was my favorite game. So Anyway, Digital Derby, the funny, the ba- another bad thing is that <clears throat> I remember finding these on the good Shop Goodwill website and even on eBay for 20, 30 bucks in working condition, in perfect condition. And I kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And then I would forget about it. And then now when you go and you look at these in working condition, they go for a lot of money. I mean, I've seen them as high as $200. Um, so I probably won't be getting one anytime soon, but um, hey, if I ever see one at a garage sale or whatever, I might try to snag it. Um, I would love to have one again. The next thing I want to talk about was uh, a cool thing I had when I was in sixth grade. Um, it was a Nelsonic Pac-Man watch. And this one, there were two different models of this. There was one that had a tiny little joystick and you could use the joystick to move Pac-Man around the maze. It was pretty awesome. Uh, but it was pretty much the same same game as this other one. And the other one is the one I had. The one I had was it had four directional buttons. So it had like a D-pad. 
Um, I, oh man, I, I so badly just wanted to say D's nuts because I've been playing that joke on my uh, my son and daughter a lot, but um, I'm, I'm I'm not going to do that. I won't go there. Um, but it had like a D pad on there. The funny thing about it is it was a watch, told time, had an alarm, and all that good stuff. But Pac Man, when he moved around the maze, it was an LCD game. And when you it was level one, there would be just one monster out chasing you around, and you had to eat the pellets, of course. And there were Energizer pellets that you could go and eat the monster. But Pac Man only faced to the left, if I remember right, no matter what. So even if you were moving right, he still faced left, and you had to eat the pellets in the direction where his mouth was. So it added this very unique kind of uh, game mechanic to it that you had to eat the pellets from eating them from the left side of your, of your Pac-Man because that's where the mouth was open. Again, you can go on YouTube and find all sorts of videos on the Nelsonic Pac-Man games and see what I'm talking about. Didn't make it any less fun though. I loved that watch and I played it until the buttons stopped working on it and the LCD started to, to phase out. I remember Really being bummed out after about a year or so, I wore that thing out. And kids at school loved it. They wanted to play it all the time. Um, in fact, it was quite a distraction at school. And more than once, I was told by the teacher to put it away or not bring it to school anymore. So uh, that was kind of a big deal uh, for me. But I do remember that. And it was a great little watch for a kid to have. Um, and that was the Nelsonic Pac-Man watch. Um, the other two things, I'm just going to... Because uh, I didn't really, I, uh, these were t- these t- next two things were board games, and I don't want to go too deep in these because you can always find the instructions online and stuff like that. But th- they're definitely worth mentioning because I had a lot of fun with these. The first one was a game called Code Name Sector. It was a game from 1977, but I think I got it a little later, maybe a year or two after that. Um, Codename Sector was a game by Parker Brothers. And if you imagine it, it was it was a board game, so it had a, it was a large blue square, and most of the play field was a an area where you could draw on them with crayons, um, so you could mark where your location was and the location of where you think the enemy sub was. But near the top of it, kind of banked, kind of seventy style, was a display like a computer and remember this was in the late 70s so this was pretty a uh, pretty novel thing to see but there was a little computer there with buttons on there and what the game would do is it would guide you to try to find the enemy sub the enemy sub was somewhere in there you couldn't see it and you were a another submarine and you were trying to find this this rogue submarine and the game would give you – I don't remember a lot of the details of the game, and they're not that easy to find online. But you can find pictures of this game, especially on eBay and stuff. I'm looking at one right now uh, that's going for about $24, which is a pretty pretty good steal. But you basically tell the computer where you're moving your sub, and then the enemy sub would make a move. And you could send out a ping, like a sonar ping, and it would tell you the direction the ping was coming from. And basically, you just start narrowing down uh, where the sub was. And I remember, like, on the outside of the box, it, there was, like, 3,000 different locations on the playing field to find this um, submarine. And I spent hours playing this game. It was a single-player game. You you just 
basically started it up and you were the sub and you were looking for the enemy and you could spend hours just playing this game looking for the submarine uh, it, and, and on the computer, I remember on the left-hand side, there were LCDs that showed you coordinates and direction and stuff like that. And then on the right-hand side were a bunch of buttons for inputting different um, things, like where you were moving, how far you wanted to shoot uh, the torpedoes and, and stuff like that. Uh, I This game was amazing to me for the time, uh, and I was just completely enamored with it. So check that out. Look it up. Uh, it's called Codename Sector. I always, when I think about this game, I always think the name is Codename Sonar for some reason, uh, but it's not. It is called Codename Sector. Uh, so check that out. That brings me to the final electronic game I want to talk about. Uh, that is Dark Tower. Now this is a pretty popular game, but around my family, we bought it for the whole family. I remember we bought it on clearance too at the time. It was came in a giant brown box, and um, it is a kind of a game kind of in the style of, of D and D like Dungeons and Dragons, but basically there's a big round board that you have these buildings in and four players can play. They, they sit on different sides of the circle and in the, in the middle of dark tower was this giant tower and it had a screen on the front that showed you um, things like the number of enemies, the number of, in your army, and the result of battles. And uh, that computer on the front was kind of um, electromechanical again. These these little LEDs would light up behind a display that would go in front of the little. I mean, you know what? I don't even think of it. it wasn't even LEDs. It was light bulbs, and it, and these things would. Sp- would spin and then show up in the front of the LEDs and show you like different information that you would then play the game Dark Tower. And I remember you had to go into every kingdom and fight and find these keys. And when you collected all the keys then and, and built up your army well enough, then you would do the final battle against the tower fighting the brigands. I remember that, the warriors versus the brigands. And if you won then you won. And if you didn't, then you had to go back and try to rebuild your army and try to make another attack. And meanwhile, all the other players are doing the same thing. Um, this was a game. Um, God, I don't remember them. It might've been Parker brothers too. Let me take a look here. Um, nope, it was Milton Bradley, Milton Bradley, dark tower board game. Um, that came out in 81. That tracks. I, I think I, I think we, we played this around like 82 to God, I want to say 82 to 85. My family was really into it. Um, oh, and, and on the play field, it had these little three dimensional buildings and flags and stuff like that. Just a fantastic game. And my whole family would play this game. And my sister, my, my, uh, my other sister, my, my mom, we would all get together and play this game. Uh, Really worth playing. Um, I remember trying to, maybe about 25 years ago, I tried to put together a set because you can find these on eBay for cheap if they're missing parts. And I would try to find a working tower. And I found a working tower and I just didn't have all the pieces. Nowadays, I know you can 3D print the pieces and stuff like that. So uh, it, it's fun. You could try to, you can find them still complete. Again, these go for a lot of money online. I mean, I'm looking at one on eBay right now that. I'm not sure if that's even complete. Um, 
but it's going for about it, it's still people are still building and bidding on it and it's already around 170 dollars so i'm sure this thing's going to go up uh, here's a complete one working well 525 dollars so not a cheap game anymore i know my family didn't pay near near that much money but dark tower that was that, that was a, definitely a highlight of my childhood was playing that Anyway, that's the end of my segment. Uh, just it was very uh, nostalgic doing the research on this and trying to fit, remember the games and remember all the all my favorite electronic games. Uh, send me some feedback. Let me know what your favorite electronic games were. I'd love if you could jump in the Discord and tell us about that, or even email us at podcast at pixelguiden.com. Thanks a lot for listening, and I'll see you next next month. <laughs> And here we are with the hard-hitting news. I was hoping you like talk over that. Oh, <laughs> channel PG news. I guess I should have warned you. Yeah, I was just waiting. I was like, oh, for nice. retro and video games meet each other. All right, I'm preparing for the news by getting ready for a beverage. But let's start with a couple of new news items first here. Um, I think the first item is mine. Yes. We'll hear one from Eric, and then Eric will get our drink on, because that's what we do. All right. There is a tweet that I saw on the Twitters, and uh, it's kind it's not really a news item, but I guess it's news to somebody. This person, Vanessa Summers, on the Twitterverse, the Twitters, uh, tweeted this, and apparently, after hundreds of hours of research and an undisclosed amount of money invested into used Nokia 3410 phones and dumping equipment, I'm happy to announce that we managed to recover and preserve Nokia's almost lost game, Munkiki's Castles, version 1.03 and 1.06. Here's my question, Eric. Yeah. That, I'm sure that's a news item. Yeah. I, I'm, obviously, I, I respect people's hobbies. I, if, if Vanessa really enjoys doing this, more power to Vanessa. Yeah. We're talking about the Nokia phones with the buttons in the front, the tiny little screen that you'd have snake on, right? Yeah. Uh, and this might be a cool game. I don't know. The thing was, because I had to read into this, they already had other versions of this game. They just did not have version 1.03 and 1.06. Yeah. So they, yeah. At what point? So I read about, I read about the preservation uh, projects revolving around old phones and in particular Nokia phones. And some people are very obsessed with it, which I think is really cool. Like I said, if that's what they want to do, that's, and it's got to be hard work, right? I mean, it's, it's not easy, but they would go and buy a bunch of Nokia phones and then try to download the, the code for the various games that are on there and, it is weird that it that they're looking for particular dot o versions of those games, but whatever. Yeah, because you have to imagine once they downloaded it, that's what you had back then. You had that version of that game, and the only if someone updated it, and that version is gone now. So they had to physically yeah. buy phones that had that still in the memory. At what point? So I, I get it. I this kind of falls to me in the category of okay, if I. And I don't know why I feel like I need to make judgment or comment on this. Again, if it's your thing, do it. I don't care. Have fun. That's cool. I love that she does that, and I love that she enjoys that. If I go out and go to the pound mm-hmm. and and get a dog from the pound, 
I'm getting a cheap dog. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. the way I see it. I'm getting a very discounted dog. I don't feel like I'm rescuing or saving. <laughs> okay. So... That's how I feel, and you can feel otherwise. Anybody out there, that's fine. This falls into the thing of nobody outside of these people need this. We don't need this much <laughs> preservation. It's not this person's game, this version of this game, isn't historically as important as many, 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 many other things. It's a hot so take. It's, it's Cody's hot take. Uh, it is. I, you know. And again, if you love it, do it. But don't reach out. I mean, I'm not, not saying that Vanessa is here, but if there are people around who are like, oh, thank you so much for spending all this time and money to find these phones to preserve this, because it means a lot to me. No, it does not. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think, I mean, we all have our personal biases, right? Because if, if I was a big Nokia guy back in the day and, and I remembered fondly all these great games... I would be very interested and in even supporting people that would be recovering, you know, those games. But I had a Nokia phone and I remember Snake and I remember a few other little games yeah. that were there, but I, I don't, you know, I just don't, I don't have the personal history with the Nokia game phone, you know, the, game <laughs> on the phone. you know, what version 1.04 was okay, but I thought 1.03 really nailed it when it came to I, Monkey Keys Castle. One or the last mainline version would be enough. <laughs> that we need to do a battle of systems versus like a top tier Nokia phone game versus a top tier uh, Texas Instruments TI eighty four calculator game. Yeah, it's really you know these are the games we would play in high school. Yeah, because the teacher at that time, you know, people who had phones and had the calculators. That's how you played in at school. Yeah. Anyways. Still cool that it exists, and I'm not going to lie, that loading screen for the Nokia game, Monkey Keys Cat, it actually looks pretty good. <laughs> I kind of yeah. want to see it in action. Yeah. Eric, so this you have is a big some one great news. Yeah. This is a big one for me, um, because I watched this pa Pack East update on YouTube, and they talked to a lot of the, or, or not a lot, but they, they talked to some developers, and they talked to um, some of the the, the people that are are at, at Mad Cat, like, doing press and PR for this game. And, man, this is probably my number one mostly most anticipated game for me. Like, I really can't wait for this to come out. And this PAX East video, which we'll have a link in the show notes, shows a lot of the combat and... Um, uh, what game? Let's say the name of the game. Uh, uh, WrestleQuest, which yes. we've talked about many times on the show. And we have. I am it looks really, really, really looking forward to this. Yeah. And we're both not necessarily, I'm definitely not a wrestling fan by any means, but this game no. does for wrestling what like golf story does for golf kind of. You yeah. Know? And it's I mean, like RPG. I was a wrestling fan when I was literally like, you know, I think it was the early eighties and I was living in Florida. Yeah. I mean, I was a big wrestling fan, but I quickly kind of uh, got out of the wrestling um, ecosphere and just, never really looked back. I mean, I'm not a big, I'm not big into wrestling, but this game looks amazing for people that haven't heard about this. WrestleQuest is going to be published by Mad Cat, um, Mad Cat games, which we've talked about a lot on this, but it's written by Skybound games and it's going to be basically a wrestling slash RPG. I mean, it, it is an RPG, but it's basically going to be all around 
uh, are all about like the fantastic wrestling, like from the eighties, nineties, you know, the, the golden era of wrestling. And I, I'm just so looking forward to this. Uh, it's going to be turn-based RPG, like in the combat, it's going to be old classic turn-based. And there's a lot of really cool things in there. Like you, you have to design your walk onto the, I don't even know what it's called in wrestling, but your kind of walk onto into the ring where you kind of show off, you have music playing your own special music or whatever. And the more you do that, your height meter goes up and that is like almost your power in the game. I mean, this thing looks amazing. And the good news, Cody, is supposed to come out according to this video and from the devs this month, May. All right. I yeah, was kind of playing it, it in this video. I have been watching the website for this and I've been, I was like, please drop, please drop, because it would be so awesome <laughs> to talk about it today on the shows. But it looks like we're probably going to have to talk about it in June, hopefully, if it does indeed come out in May. It's been delayed a couple of times. So, you know, I'm taking it with a grain of salt. I hope it does come out, but we'll see. Love it. Good call. So anyway, watch the video. You'll love it. There's a lot of great game shots in there. Eric, what beer did you bring today? Yeah, I need to get a beer going here. Go ahead and uh, pull that puppy out. Show us what you got. I'm going to reach back here and grab my first bottle of brown drink. All right. So to celebrate with my friends to the south in Mexico, for Cinco de Mayo, I decided to slum it a bit and grab some great classic Mexican beers, and my first one is probably one of my favorites, Dos Equis Amber. Oh, look at you buying, uh, what's the word, uh, supermarket beers. It is. All, all mine today are supermarket beers, just mainstream Cerveza Masfina. Right. Well, I'm going to do my first brown drink here. So, Cool. None of these, no, well, there's a couple that are more unique. There's two of these that are just everyday, everyday drinkers for people. Yeah. Um, so my first one here is, uh, is uh, and I'm going all, I'm doing different cultures here. I've got some scotch. I've got some bourbons. Okay. And I've got myself uh, some Jameson Irish whiskey, which is what I'm going to go with first here. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've only drank and drinking, drunk drinking a very small amount of straight Irish whiskey. It's not typically my cup of whiskey. Yeah. Um, so this will be like a legit. Me trying to review uh, Jameson straight out the bottle. I do it with one cube of ice. That's how I roll. Okay. I know a lot of people have big, big, uh, and I'm going to get to scotch later. And for those who are going to freak out because I put one cube of ice in my scotch, deal with it. People enjoy their stuff differently. You know, exactly. some people put a little water to open it up. Some people are like, no, 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 it can't be cold at all. Just straight. I mean, everyone enjoys it differently get off about it. Actually, I have a, um, my, my wife's, uh, dad. I love this, right? He puts white, uh, uh, cubes of ice in his red wine. Yeah. I mean, I if you're going to, if you're going to go this, go that route, yeah. I mean, you're go big time. Yeah. I, I, I <laughs> think that's fantastic. Beer. And so like what I did is I just put a slice of lime in mine and I know that's pretty common, but like my neighbor has a brother who is like, you, you don't put fruit in beer. And I'm like, <laughs> I do. I love, I love a good slice of lime in my cerveza. I typically so I don't like, enjoy it, but I'm not like, you know, 
I also put yeah. pineapple on pizza. You know what? It is what it is. To each their own. Eric, cheers, my friend. Cheers. Boo. Ah, exactly. This is what Cinco de Mayo is all about. Drinking Irish whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. So, out of five Mayos. Yeah. We're going to have to rate these out of five Mayos. Five Mayos. This is, like I said, one of my top tier is the Dos Equis Ambar Especial. And uh, it's a darker Mexican beer. Um, I'm going to give this a good, I mean, out of five Mayos, I'm going to give it a good 4.2. 4.2 Mayos. 4.2 Mayos? Yep. Okay. That's, that's, that's it's pretty refreshing. High. It's a pretty high Mayo. So I'm going to tweak my own thing here a little bit, right? Because I think we always end up going to the percentage thing. So if I'm going to do out of five, I don't want to make two people. This is the bell curve, right? A three would yeah. be average. True. Right? Five would be top tier. One would be bottom barrel. Three would be average. So again, I don't think my rating is specific to the Jameson, but in this case, it has to be because that's what I'm drinking. Irish whiskey has a flavor in it that I do not enjoy. Yeah. Because I've, I've had Jameson. I've had Jameson before, and I got to say, it's not one of the ones I enjoy sipping. It's interesting because, like, the, the, the root notes of it I enjoy, but there's this one cloying flavor. It's almost like a. It's the peat. It's like a. No, it's. I love peat and scotch. I love peat. This is. I don't know what it is, but Irish whiskey has it. I know Jameson has it. It almost kind of catches you up in the sinuses. It's not a burn. It's like a. I don't know, almost a sweet, like a sugary sweetness or something. Anyways, I'm going to give this, it, it's, you know, it's, it's below average for me. So I'm going to give it a, a dose out of five, dose out of Cinco Mayos. <laughs> no, it's not to say it's bad and I will yeah. never drink it. I'm going to finish this and enjoy the rest of it. But it does have that cloying nature that would keep me from choosing to drink this. Gotcha. There we go. First review. All right. Operation Wolf returns, Eric. So if yes. you are a fan, and we've covered Operation Wolf on the show, we, we did not cover the arcade version. We covered the version on the TurboGrafx-16. And, of course, the arcade, true arcade machine had the very cool Uzis on the front of it that people would shoot the bad guys, and it's kind of into-the-screen army shooter. Um, a new game coming out called Operation Wolf Returns. We'll hit VR systems first, and then consoles and PC after that. Now, this is uh, true to the original kind of uh, Operation Wolf gameplay, in which you're shooting into the screen, and the screens have different things going on, and it kind of scrolls, but it is definitely updated. It's kind of got that... Um, how, do you, how would you describe the look of that? It's, it's cartoony, um, more cartoony, but kind of has that... Um, Borderlands kind of feel to it, that like hyper realistic cartoony feel, or maybe Which Fortnite, is, or not Fortnite. What's the what's the what's the other shooter that's cartoony right now that got really big? Um, I can't think of what it's called right now. Well, Fortnite. Um, oh, I. Uh, what is it? My kid, <laughs> my my son was really into it. Um, Overwatch. Overwatch. That's the one. Yes, thank you. Uh, yeah, my son was looks really like into a, that for a while. It looks like a blast, and, and and more and more, I want to get 
a VR solution to play games like this. Yeah, and honestly, I love when they take some license with the style of the graphics, the style. I I, I much prefer games like that, like like an Overwatch or a, a Borderlands. I, I like it when they when they have there's some art to it instead of just trying to be photorealistic. Yeah, yeah, because otherwise it's kind of stale. I was hoping they had some video to show you, but it looks like it's all stills at the moment. Uh, looking no, it like looks it's cool. going to come still- out. I still haven't gotten into any VR action on modern systems, so still waiting yeah. to get into that. Yeah, I want to I do it for sure. But fun. Um, I have no idea what this, this game is, Eric, that you found. Oh, so before you p- hit play, though, have you seen this? I have no, I, no, I have no idea what this is. Okay, I, I didn't know because this has made its round, so this, this video has been going around. Dude, watch this. All you got to do is watch it, okay? And, and okay. tell me are what you, gonna, you think. Are you going to mention to the listeners what I'm watching? We're watching footage from a game called Unrecord. So it looks, right now it looks like I'm watching like a, the Blair Witch Project style, like kind of grainy home video, but it's of a guy with a gun coming into some kind of um, underworld... <laughs> Spray it's like an There's abandoned building. Yeah, it's like this parkour game, meets shooting. So this has been making the rounds, and it's been getting criticized for being too realistic, too photorealistic. And I know in the last segment I just said, hey, you know, I kind of like it, prefer it. Yeah. But this is the first game where I've looked at it, and I've gone, this game looks almost like it's from real footage. So is this, this is not real footage. Yeah, I, I, this looks like real footage. I mean, it except, looks like real except footage, for the people, right? Yeah. You know what it looks like to me? It looks like obviously modern HD quality video of like old FMV games, right? But, um, like it looks like human actors and stuff. And but uh, wow! So this yeah, is supposed out. to be from his um, his body cam, yeah? Because he's a he's a police officer, and the footage is supposedly all like first person from his body cam. But the sound and the graphics on this look. Like I mean, I hate I, I hate the term next generate next gen or next generation. They look like video. This looks like video. It just looks like video, uh, like real life video. And if they they ever put this literally into VR, we're going down a crazy path because this looks so realistic. It really does. Is this? I mean, is this like a? Uh, I don't even know what the gameplay type is. I mean, obviously, I can see what they're doing, but. Is this VR and you're holding a fake gun in front of you doing this stuff? Or is this like a controller or what are we looking at? This is going to be, this right here is on a controller on um, the latest Xbox and and PS5. It's built built in the latest Unreal Unreal Engine. Yeah. But that's pretty crazy. This game is just going to be like, like I said, it was actually getting criticized. People are like, oh, this is just too much. It's getting too realistic. And, I don't know. You, you, when you have limits, you have to push those limits. I don't care what it is. Like this whole battle with AI, right? And they're like, oh, take six months off. We need to think about it. We need to slow down. There's no slowing down for this stuff. It's like you got to – there's there's only moving forward. And I, I want to see what is next. And so this to me, when I saw this, I was just like, this is That's this nuts. is out. This is yep. what the future of video games is going to be like. If you haven't seen this thing, either look it up or check out our show notes. Unrecord. 
unrecord and look at the gameplay footage on that if you haven't seen it. It's been going around, so a lot of our listeners probably have seen it, but check it out. This is a quick one, Eric. Yeah. Um, there's been a new ROM hack released, a special edition of the Ghostbusters game that originally came out on the Sega Genesis. Okay. Um, here's, here's the big deal, all right? They made a few upgrades, they made some changes, but here's the big deal. The original game didn't have Winston, so they put Winston back in the game. I mean, come oh. on. You, need, you can't you have need three of the four Ghostbusters. That's, that's no good. Yeah. It reminds me of Stranger Things when the kids are all are fighting about who, who gets to be who and nobody wants to be Winston. That's right. <laughs> Poor Winston. Yeah. Uh, but look at that. We got the new, we got, we got Winston playing. There he is. That's a Ghostbuster. There he is. <laughs> Poor Winston. That's all I have to say about that. But if you want to yeah. download the ROM, we've, we've, got the, we've got the link here. This one, Eric, I see what you have coming up next. And, of course, this is a big one for our Commodore community. Yeah, and, and uh, man, so Sarah Jane Avery, uh, world-renowned, <laughs> um, I want to say Commodore 64 programmer, because that's what she's mainly been working on, but... She Lately, is going to yeah. come out on different platforms. She's talked about VIC-20 games. She's talked about doing Amiga games. But right now, it's mainly been C64, and she's been coming out with the very best shooters on this for the last few years. And then she also did an RPG called The Briley Witch Chronicles. Um, but she has just this month come out with Zeta Wing 2, and I've been playing this for the last few days, and it is by far her best work in the shooter field. So really? Okay. Um, I've been loving it and it kind of depressed me because anonymous people, of course they're anonymous cause they're cowards, but on her, <laughs> on her itch.io um, site, they were saying, Oh, the music is not good. And, and, and saying some other things, but of course everybody who says that is logged in as an anonymous, which I, yeah, honestly, I mean, I, I haven't played this one yet. I did pick it up. I want to get into it. Zeta Wing, the original, the first one, is like my favorite, um, well, definitely my favorite shooter on the system. She came yeah. out with the game Soul Force, which was kind of like more technically impressive, but gameplay-wise, yeah. Zeta Wing was my favorite. I have not played this yet. I expect it to be just as good or better. Uh, oh, but man. I, I mean, for, for what it's worth, I would say, so she does all the graphics, all the programming, everything, all the music. I would yep, say the music is, is her weakest uh skill when it comes to this stuff but it's not terrible it's it's serviceable music graphics are awesome gameplay is awesome yeah you know. I, I i and the music is it, it fits the game to me like it it's good it's good music and it fits the fits the game some of the i mean some of this game is brilliant like the way she scales enemies and and it's going to be hard to explain this but the way she scales enemies because they come f- from up under the, the play field. Oh, so wow. the play field okay. will have like holes in it and the holes have, will have parallax scrolling through the holes of the platform on the bottom. Right. So she does that expertly. And then as enemies come up through these holes, they, they they have like a scaling effect. So they're tiny little dots. Then they go, they get bigger. I mean, she does some amazing effects in this game. And cool. I I have been playing it and just loving it. There is 
a little meter down in the bottom so you can power up your weapons. And the more stars you collect, you power them up. They're smart bombs. Um, you can put you you can set it to easy, normal, or hard. I've been playing on normal the whole time. Um, I, this game is amazing, and it should get the accolades that it deserves. I mean, it it's worth, and it's been selling really well. So she's got another hit on her hands. But um, I just I hate it when people just kind of they take something like this, which is like four uh, or four ninety nine, right? And you. And you, and you want to criticize something as minor as like because well, you don't just, the music yeah. on it. They're going to do it. That's what people do. Unfortunately, I mean, technically, this game is a marvel. So Zeta Wing Two, Sarah Jane Avery, go to her site sarahjaneavery.itch.io and pick up Zeta Wing Two. Uh, it by far, so far from what I've played, uh, probably the best shooter on the Commodore sixty four. Awesome. Yeah. Yep, I need to get into that one, uh, Eric. You and I, yeah. I talked about this, I think, last month, and I laughed about the fact that they came, well, they made a Tetris movie, mm-hmm. which I want to see, I still have not seen, Yeah, uh, and they've come out with a bunch of different titles recently, and more recently, they came out with Gran Turismo. Now, I was laughing, I'm like, how are you going to make a movie out of the Gran Turismo game? Like, is it going to be, like, corny jazz music, and they're eating coffee, and then they go out and race cars, and then crash, yeah. and there's no damage, and then, like, what, what are you going to do with a Gran Turismo movie? They have a trailer here. I'll just let it run a little bit. I don't know if you've seen the trailer at all. I haven't. It's, um, so again, kind of like Tetris. Once you get the concept, you're like, okay, I get it now. And I'm excited about that. This is all about, and I was, I was, um, I, I didn't obviously try hard, but I love the concept. And I tried to create a racing rig originally, uh, like eight years ago when Gran Turismo, it was a five came out and they were basically saying, you know, Hey, we're going to have a tournament on here. And the top player is going to get a contract to actually go race real vehicles. And this is the story of, I, I don't know the whole thing, if it's just one one kid or, or a few, I say kids, but, you know, young adults who uh, went to the, the Grand Tourism of the GT Academy and were working towards getting a actual race sponsorship. And this is that story. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really cool of them, you know, practicing in their simulators and getting better at the game and then eventually getting into real cars and that kind of stuff, you know. It's got Based big on, names in it, too. There's that dude from yeah. Stranger Things. Um, there's Orlando Bloom is in there. Based on a true story. So I am all about this game. Wow. Or game, this movie. <laughs> I will be checking yeah, this one out good. for sure. As well as Tetris. There's also another wow. one came out. I will mention this because I, I don't think we talked about it. Maybe we did already. But they came. They came out with. Um, yeah, I'm going to blank in this name right now. But a new pinball uh, documentary movie um, about. Oh, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name right now. But there is a guy in the pinball community when in New York they were trying to overcome the pinball ban, uh, not ban. They were, they were going to ban pinball entirely, and they did for a while because they considered it gambling. And he basically taken it to court and trying to figure out how to fight the ban. And they said it's a game of chance. He's like, no, it's a game of skill. And it came down to him saying, all right, the ball's going to come out here. I'm going to catch it, and I'm going to shoot that item, that target in the corner, and he does it. You know, that's, that's kind of always been the big story. He hits that shot, and they're like, okay, it is skill. Therefore, it's a game, not a not a gambling device, and they've made it legal again. Yeah. So I want to see that that movie as well. I think it's on, uh, it's on something I don't have. I think it's like Paramount Plus or something. So definitely going to catch that one that is cool 
Yeah, I mean, it looks actually better because when you, you know, I think we mentioned this one in passing. We were like, oh, Grand God, what was, yeah, what is this going to be about? You know, and, and mm-hmm. you always think about that with these video game movies, but they're starting to actually do it right. Like they're, they're, they're getting, I think before they would just get these cheesy scripts and just go with it and thinking that they're just going to get all the video game players to watch this, right? Um, but now they're starting to actually seem to get good good scripts you know they're they're actually getting some real stories behind them so maybe uh video game movies have a future you know anything's possible m2 oh yeah so this is is (laughs) this is next on our thing here right that is that's how Um, the news works (laughs) (laughs) um this is something i want and it's coming out soon and uh so the, my GameCube is probably one of my more underused um, game platforms. I don't know if you feel the same way, if you play your GameCube a lot less than your other ones, but there are a lot of really great games on the GameCube, and I really want to get into them more, but I have to burn the little discs. I mean, we both modded our, we both modded our GameCube so that we can play the discs, but there's no great way to play the games other than the little, like, I forget what it's called, the SD2, whatever, but then the yeah, game skip because the speed's not fast enough. The, the game gameplay um, itself typically doesn't, but any of the, yeah, the pre-recorded videos or some of that stuff, yeah, it will skip for sure. Yeah, so there, this thing is coming. It is called the M.2 Loader, and it goes into the bottom, into the serial port 2 on the device, and what it is is it's little circuit board that has an FPGA car uh, FPGA chip in it, and what that does is it handles all of the communication. So the communications is, is is ultra fast, and you on this board pop in an NVM hard drive of your own. So you just go and you buy an NVM hard drive, one of the solid state hard drives, and it plugs in perfectly into this thing, and it all fits nice and neat into the bottom of your GameCube. Um, where you can even put the, the the little lid back on it. So, I mean, it all is concealed in there. But you can have like a five, like a half a terabyte hard drive in there or a terabyte hard drive or whatever. You bring your own NVM, you pop it in there and you run Swiss and you can load the games off of this M.2 loader. And there's the picture of the hard drive right there. Um, and then that's it. So this thing's coming. Now, I don't, from what I gather, it's not going to be ultra cheap. But no, it's got an um, FPGA, so that's a hundred plus right there. Exactly. So I mean the device itself probably is gonna be right around there, somewhere between a hundred and two hundred dollars. And then you have to bring your own NVM um hard drive, which I have about two or three of them in my garage from clients that have broken laptops and thrown them away. So I've got a ton of those anyway. Um but I really want one of these things when it comes out. It's not out yet. There's prototypes out there right now being tested. And they're kind of refining them. You still have to have a way to boot Swiss, but you and I are good because if you have a modded GameCube, you can load Swiss off of anything. You can load it off of yeah. a actual of, of, of a disc or whatever you want to do. This preserves your disc drive. So it's not an ODE where it replaces your optical drive. So it's the best of both worlds. You still have that, but you can literally pop in a two terabyte hard drive into your GameCube. Yeah. And I guess the speed is outrageous. So this this is something I'm going to definitely do down the road, um, and just to get me kind of kickstarted back into the GameCube world because all the games I've played on GameCube I've really enjoyed. Just like the N64. Uh, all right. 
Uh, I don't even remember what this was. I just put a link here. So let's remember what this is. Oh, this is cool. So one of my favorite games on the Neo Geo also came out on the Genesis. Also came out on the Dreamcast. Xenocrisis. And the Evercade. And the Evercade. Evercade. Well, it continues its quest to be released on every gaming system ever made because they're coming out with a new Nintendo 64 and GameCube versions, which we just talked about, the GameCube. So you can buy it for your Nintendo 64 and your GameCube. That's insane. Isn't that crazy? Here's all the different versions they have right there. So I, I, you know, the funny thing is I think I'd get this for the N64 because that is probably my least popular console (laughs) of of my own. I don't play it very much because I just don't think there are a lot of great titles on there. There there are, of course, three, four good titles on there, but three or um, four. Okay. Okay. (laughs) But having Xeno crisis on there would be amazing. So it would be a fifth good title. Exactly. So here it is from Bitmap Bureau, the guys who, of course, brought you Xeno Crisis. Great game. Uh, looks like it is thirty dollars. I'm sorry, thirty pounds, British pounds, on the GameCube, and fifty-five for a boxed cart on the Nintendo sixty-four. Is it out? I think uh, you're pre-ordering copies at this point. Okay. Okay. Um, maybe, maybe not. Let me see. Re-release. Blah, blah, blah. Does that look like a hey? Buy this. Oh yeah, I mean they're they're ready to go. It's I mean you can see pictures of the final product already. So. Yeah. Um. No. Oh, yeah. You can order one below. There it goes. Wow. So I'm gonna take a look at Nintendo 64 and see what pops up. Thing is, it's a great game. I want it on the Nintendo 64. I don't want it in addition to the fact they already have it on three other systems. I know. I want them to make yeah. another great game and release it for Nintendo 64. <laughs> nope. So I, I'm I'm with you there. I'm with you there, but. Man, it would be kind of cool having on the GameCube though too. So, and it's cheaper on the GameCube because it's just a disc, not a cartridge. But how many? Yeah, for me, it's more about I don't. I don't there's no games coming out for the Nintendo 64 on cartridge that I know of for years. That's true. How cool That's is true. that? Anyways, yep. All right. Fun. Cool. Fun. 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 I like it. I like it. So here's a cool one from on the Amiga. There is a game coming out called Rogue Declan Zero. Speaking of twin stick shooters. Yep. And this is a twin stick shooter. And you're like, what? How could it be a twin stick shooter on an Amiga? Well, guess what? That is a good question. You can. There, he provides a variety of ways to do it. You can use a single joystick and there's some kind of way to do that. You can use two joysticks so that you could literally, like, if you mm-hmm. have two kind of desk-mounted ones, you can use two joysticks. That's always a pain in the butt. But he also supports a CD32 controller, which I have. Yes. And the cool thing is, so you would use the, the D-pad on one side, and then the buttons would be literally, like, which direction you yeah, would like fire Yeah, like Smash in. TV on the Super Nintendo. Yeah. Correct. So I that sounds amazing. And if you look at the graphics on there... Um, it looks like it's going to be a fun game. And the cool thing is I mentioned this online. I think it was on Twitter or you know what? It was on Mastodon. Um, I was mentioning this game and this is by the way, from our good friend and Patreon subscriber, Ram. Okay. Ram. Okay. His website. I got a lot of news from his website this month because he's been knocking it out of the park. He's been finding a lot of great news items. Good friend of the show. Um, But Basically, we were talking about it, about this game, 
And the author jumped in and was like, hey, you want to try an alpha version of this? Nice. And I was like, heck, heck yeah, I do. And so he emailed us on our email address, which is um, podcast at pixelguide.com. Yep. And he reached out to us and he sent us a link to get this. And I'm doing it this weekend. I'm downloading this and giving it a good shot. It looks really cool. I love the graphics. They remind me of um, Super Box Crate, which was a game on the Commodore 64, which is like a little platformer, like a jumping game. The the graphics of the of the of the enemies and stuff, or the or, or your main character looks kind of like the blocky. Boxy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I love twin stick shooters. I know you do too. Um, this game looks really fun. It's one of my favorite genres. Yeah. So I'm downloading this this weekend, trying the alpha. We're going to report back next month. And then I know this game, I think, is very close to coming out because if it's already in that state, I'm sure that he's he's going to get this thing up and running here pretty soon. Check so. our show notes so you can check out Rogue Declan Zero on Ramoke Ramoke's website. Yep. Uh, the next one I have here, just to kind of update everybody, I know I did the big thing on the, my uh, arcade one-up pinball uh, yes. last episode. So I want to so update envious. everybody. I used to talk about all the arcade one-up releases, and I kind of stopped recently, but just a quick pop in and talk about it. They have a new lineup. I shouldn't say it's terribly new, but they started coming out with this new version. I forget what they call it, this version. Um, Anyway, they they keep finding a way to up the price. You know, when these first came out, they were like $2.99, and then it became $3.99 because they got super popular, and then they started adding saying all right now it also includes the stand with it and it's now it's 4.99 they're up to 5.99 now and but what's cool about it is that they they are made into yeah i mean they are they are two pieces you bolt together but it becomes one solid looking it looks more like a full-size arcade cabinet just three-quarter scale without being you know like the one i have with the big obvious stand below it that kind of looks out of place yeah, um, and they have the coin slots on the front. It looks makes it look more real. Uh, but the most recent one they have, so they call these uh, here they are deluxe arcades. So they've already released a, a full size Pac Man one that again looks exactly like the old Pac Man machine. Full size Mortal Kombat and a full size Mrs. Pac Man Galaga cross. And but their new cho- their new item is weird. <laughs> their new choice is, and I'm I'm sure this is a real uh, arcade game. You can play it like the movie theater. Uh, the Fast and Furious arcade game. Yeah. Which is, it's cool because it is a steering wheel with the gas and the foot pedal down below. Um, yeah. But it almost looks like, to me, the gameplay almost looks like, a, what were those really popular, like Rush, the Rush series? Yeah. San like Francisco, San Francisco Rush. Rush or, and, yeah. yeah. European Rush. Anyways, update on Arcade 1-Up since I haven't talked about them in a while, aside from my pinball purchase. I wear it as a badge of honor that I've never seen a Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> I saw the very but, first one. Okay. And then as soon as the second one came out, I looked at them like, that looks a little far-fetched. And they've gotten worse and worse and worse as far as yeah. how out there they are. I've never seen one. And I, I mean, I've seen enough clips to kind of get the gist. And it's not a gist I want to entertain. So <laughs> yeah, they just I, came I'm out not into it. Fast and Furious X, which I'm sure is 10. They're at number 10. And the and the you know their cars are just like flying and falling out of planes and landing and just driving off. I mean it's just ridiculous. Although I do like some schlocky I'm movies. So suspending, I'm all for suspending belief yeah. and like having fun in a series and stuff. I'm just it seemed a, I mean it seemed a lot of testosterone to me. Like I was like whoa, <laughs> this is too much. 
Whoa! <laughs> we gotta try to keep. Um, oh, I can't think of his name right now. Vin Diesel employed. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this next one, I'm, I'm gonna make real quick because I haven't played this game. I don't know much about it, but I found it kind of novel because they don't release a lot of new games in this genre. So it's called okay. Baron Planet. It's a turn-based strategy game, which I love. I love turn-based strategy games. Um, by Sin Sin Sinning Stan. Am I saying that right? Um sure. Sinning Stan, which is des- yeah. which is designed to run on the original IBM PC from 1981. Yep. It, so it, you don't see a lot of DOS <laughs> games from like 1981. Um, in the, it in the, uh, the black, cyan, and red colors. Yep. It supports the original 4.77 megahertz 8088 processor. Does the four color CGA graphics? It's compact enough to run from an original 360k floppy disk. Um, I think the graphics look kind of neat and and they're very nostalgic to me because it was the same kind of time era, you know, back in the day of Commodore 64 or whatever. Um, but it, oh, another really cool thing about this game. Um, so you can play it. It's got multiplayer. A single player game player can choose which corporation to work for. Um, the game can be played by one or two players, but it also has play by mail mode. Now, that's Cody, old school right there. This that is, is old a little school. before your time. You probably never played a play by mail. <laughs> I've heard of it. I've never played one though. Yeah. So you can literally send an email to someone with all of your moves that you want to do. And then you, you import them in, they make the moves and then you make your moves. You send them a file back. And I played a couple of games <laughs> in my past from that. And, and dude, it, you know, of course, back then in, the, in those days, it, that was like something that was just like, oh, this is so cool, you know, because you could play someone and you would literally have a game that lasted a month or two. Um, I can't sending, imagine that ever actually working where everyone put in the moves you send over perfectly. And like, I just feel like the game would get off. There's no way it would it would just keep being identical on both sides. Yeah, the game has logic usually to say, hey, we're waiting for a move from player one. And then you have to, when you get that, you import it in. No, and but so that's, it, that's what I'm saying. Like a game of telephone, like between you writing up your moves and them inputting it, like something would get off. Huh. A character would be a spot in the wrong spot and then it would mess everything up, you know? I yeah, attacked I this spot. That. There's no one there. Yeah, there is. No. <laughs> I don't remember that ever being a problem, but um, but I, I've played a few a few games that were by mail and... It was fun. It was from a different era, though. You know, there was it. it I don't know. I think it's really cool. I, cool. I, I, I applaud whoever wrote this and took the time to make something crazy like this. And the cool thing is I have a Mr. Core. Like I have two PC Mr. Cores. One is for one that's more like a 486 computer. So more advanced than this needs. But there is a core that is for an IBM 8088 based machine like old it, school yeah. DOS. So I could load that up in Mister and give it a shot. So that'd be pretty neat. Very cool. I got another news item from Twitter. Yeah, and this one's all in Japanese, but it looks like somebody either found—I can't read it because it's in Japanese—found. Um, it looks like they found a prototype Nintendo Game and Watch device that is Tetris. But it's interesting because I mean I don't know if it's real Nintendo or what. There's obviously no. Um, labels or anything on it because it does look like a prototype but it's interesting because it's not it's it's a clamshell uh, game and watch where they open up like a clamshell and has the top screen and a bottom screen which you know nintendo did make those game and watches the dual screen ones which is what created the concept of the um 
the DS, Nintendo DS and 3DS systems. But you have this skinny little tower above where the pieces are falling down. When it gets down right. to the bottom screen, that's where you can where you can you know flip them or press left and right and move them around. But yeah, look at that little Nintendo Game and Watch, man. Uh, it's also interesting because when they scroll off to the side of the screen, the whole all the items move along with it. Yeah, so I, I know a little bit about the story. You do? Okay, cool. So first of all, that is a real clamshell from a real Game & Watch. It is from Safe Buster, which is a Game & Watch game. Oh, okay, okay. The logic, the, the code, and the screen, and the chips and stuff are for supposedly from a Tetris prototype. Um, but it was shoved into a Safe Buster clamshell. So that's a real Game & Watch uh, shell. Okay. Yeah. And, and the cool thing is that if you watch what happens is it's an interesting thing. So the, the, the blocks are thrown by those dudes on the top, Mm -hmm. but you don't move the blocks. You move the whole play field at the bottom. So the play field moves back and forth, left and right. Um, so it was kind of this like variant or take on Tetris where they were still tweaking the, the, the formula for Tetris and you move the whole game field to the bottom to let the blocks fall in and stack up. So I don't know how it works, but I did see that. And it's interesting that it's in a real, it's in a real um, game and watch case. So I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if it's a fake or if it's, well, I mean, they real. still have to have made the screen cause they're liquid crystal. They're not the, the screens. Yeah. You can't just put whatever you want on it. They have to be made for that game. Yeah, either that or yeah. this, this is a crazy CGI thing that somebody's doing to fool us. But either way, it's cool. <laughs> either way, it is cool. Um, I've heard about it from multiple sources, so I think it's a prototype. I think it's real. I mean, it looks pretty darn convincing either way, so I believe it. Yep. Cody, yep. did you know that there is a Pico 8 webzine? I did not. So here I'm it looking is. at it right I mean, now. They're coming out with it once a month. So they, right now they have January, February, March, and April. They have multiple news articles in each one. And one of the main things is featured game review. So they feature a game review, but they also talk to devs. Uh, they talk about writing your own Pico games and debugging and like helping you out with programming. Um, but if you're just a player, they also highlight a game to talk about. Um, so this is a whole little magazine for Pico eight. So, so I didn't cool. know if you knew about this. I, I don't know if this, obviously this isn't new because it started in, um, January in January, but it's news to us, Eric, it's news to us. And I think it is awesome. So I've read through a couple of the articles already. I found a couple of great new games just based on this. Um, so anyway, tiny farm there, the link Man. is in the show notes. It is called Pico view. And it's at nerdyteachers.com. <laughs> I don't know what that means, hey. but... Man, these, some of these games look really good. This one with the star looks great. Yeah, that's the Astro game. We've talked about that in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I, so I wait, will wait, be, little zine. Little zine. I will be, yeah, that'll be favorited here. Very cool. Um, hey, there's been a new core on your analog pocket in your mister, Eric. I don't know if you've downloaded this core for your mister. It's an important one. You're going to be stoked. <laughs> what is it? It is the Tamagotchi Core. So I have now not you can downloaded play. this one yet. <laughs> you can play with your pocket. Uh, I don't even know what, how big these little screen pixelated screens were on your little pocket handheld Tamagotchi. And um, 
Uh, and yeah, I guess this one right here is, um, what do you call it? Pokemon flavored Tamagotchi, but those terrible little pets that you just had to keep alive all day long and their whole existence was to take your time and take your attention to feed them and bathe them and play with them in the middle of the day. Otherwise they would die and make you feel horrible for killing them. Yep. You can now play them in true clock accurate speeds on your mister in your analog pocket. So there you go. <laughs> Excellent. I'll have to download these and ignore <laughs> and kill a ton of ta- Tamagotchis. There you go. So this one, I think, Cody, is definitely – I'm interested in this. I, I want to get this. This, another news article from Ram OK, Ram OK. I did And him and I one. went back and forth. We talked about this uh, online. And it basically is a new adapter that will allow you to play ColecoVision games through your master system. So yep. <laughs> envision a master system cartridge you put in there, and then you can just pop the ColecoVision cartridge on the top. Now – I will tell you that I get much better graphics, f- graphic fidelity through my master system <laughs> than my ColecoVision. That's the, my number one complaint about ColecoVision is I could never get good video output, even with composite mods. I could not get great output, even on my CRTs. Mine looks pretty good. I guess I'm Mine doesn't. But... I have two of them. In fact, one is in my box of Broken Dreams because I've tried yeah. to mod it to make video better and I jacked it up. Um, but sounds like a dude, job for retro rewind.ca. Exactly. Um, this I had, cause I have like about 20 Coleco cartridges that I just don't use. Yeah. Boom. Pop that in there. Now, the only thing that would make this better is if somehow I could use the ColecoVision controller. Not that it's a great well, controller. I was going to say, I'd make it worse, but we need those, that number pad. You need the numpad, so I got to investigate if there's a way to get that going because um, now listen, not every Coleco uh, ColecoVision cartridge required you to use the numpad. Most of the arcade conversions didn't, um, but I need to yeah, find that every out. Game, every game makes you start by pressing a number on the pad. Exactly, like, and in you this have to video, have a numpad. It's sh- in the video. It shows the guy continuing past those screens, so. I'm thinking there's some kind of shortcut on the controller. Like you hold a button down and go in a direction to pick a number um, because he goes through it. He he actually advances past that screen. So there's got to be a way to do it. We're going to have to but, research this further. <laughs> but this is, I'm definitely interested in this because my Sega Master System gets beautiful output on my CRT. Like it looks fantastic. Yeah, I'd play a lot more Coleco stuff. For me, it's more just pulling the whole thing out a whole ColecoVision out, and I have to plug it into uh, my much smaller TV, which I'd have to pull out because I have to use the RF input. I don't have that's right composite out. Like it's it, the whole thing is a pain in the butt. It's a big system, so it hardly ever gets out. But uh, I do very much enjoy it, and I want to be able to play them more regularly as well. I agree. Cool. cool. The beautiful thing about ColecoVision for me is that they really did have killer arcade ports. Oh yeah, they did. I mean, if it wasn't for the solid. controller, that should have been the the yeah. that that's the the original Atari killer that should have should have taken over. Yep. But I agree. All right, moving on here. I'm trying to figure out where we're at. Boom, boom, boom. Or right here. So I want to talk quickly about a company called Hyper Megatech. This is a new retro you brand. You can't beat that name. You can't beat that name. You can't beat that name. 
So really, really, this is a game that's going to talk make toys, board games, or I don't even know what else. They're going to make stuff. And why is that of interest, Eric? Well, Hyper Megatech is a brand that is has been created and owned by the same company, Blaze, Entertain- uh, Blaze Entertainment, who currently makes the Evercade. Okay. So they have the Evercade, and now they have Hyper Megatech. And the whole point of Hyper Megatech is to bring, bring basically their... Uh, their ability to work with great licenses and properties for, you know, classic video games, retro games, nostalgic products. Um, and they don't specifically say what they're going to make it, but they have a quote here, according to timeextension.com, says Hyper Megatech will be the brand that brings quality to the mass market retro styled products with officially licensed properties. Uh, they plan to allow Blaze's expertise to encompass multiple entertainment product industries and won't be focused entirely on retro gaming as they are with Evercade, but it will be somewhat. So anyways, they're going to make cool nerd retro stuff. And they did such a great job with the Evercade. I don't have any reason to believe that this stuff will not be of great interest to us as well. No, that is good news. I I mean, you're right. Blaze has done an amazing job with the Evercade. So I'm eager to see what they, I, I, I read this article, like when you posted it and I was scratching my head going, well, they don't, they're not, Nothing was really said here other than Correct. They, they're starting something up. So I'm ho- Well, I think they have ideas and things they're putting to work and they don't want anyone to, you know, they're getting everything put in place and they'll announce it right before the stuff needs to be released. So no use letting a, an already established company take your idea before you can get it to market. So this next one uh, is another thing I got from Ram OK Ram OK. I've been I've been reading his site intently. Yeah, it's a um, great site. It really is. Especially but considering is, it's a one-person show. Yeah, exactly. Um, this, I thought, was super interesting. So uh, there was a Zelda game on the CDI. I don't know if you knew that. Um, uh, it is it's a, terrible. <laughs> it's been it's known terrible. as, as exactly. just being absolutely is, awful. Yeah, an awful game, but it is interesting because it, it's the only Zelda game, I think, that's not on a Nintendo console. Yeah. Uh, but it is called Zelda's Adventure. And somebody decided just to take the game, which is a 3D game, like on the CDI. It's with really bad 2D cutscenes, like cartoon cutscenes. Yes, yes, exactly. But somebody decided just to say, hey, we're going to take this and we're going to make it on the Game Boy, the original Game Boy. I love D makes. And this is a D making, from what I understand, word on the street. And from because I've heard multi, I've heard one podcast talk about this already, and I've heard from other people on Twitter and online. This is better than the CDI <laughs> version. So this D make is one of those rare ones that literally, even though it's a D make, it is better than the original. So this is probably worth checking out if you want to get into a new Zelda, a, a new old Zelda adventure. Um, and it's one that probably a lot of people haven't played because no one really wants, no one's going to emulate a CDI just to play Zelda's adventure. Plus once they get the whiff online that it was a bad game to begin with, yep. um, they, they might, but now you can get on game boy and it's kind of a novel game on game boy. And from what I've heard, it's getting really good reviews. So, um, try that out. Yeah, link it's is actually on itch.io. So get it quick because Nintendo is known for shutting these things down fast. Exactly. So I'm going to leave that open here because I need to get that taken care of. I need to get that downloaded. Um, we are moving on to a game called Murtop. This is the game I found. I don't even know how I found it, but it's coming out on Steam. And again, I like it because 
is a game coming out on Steam. Um, you can download the demo. I haven't tried it yet, but it should be released on the 18th. So only a couple days after this episode releases. And yeah. essentially, it is, you know, it's in true arcade fashion. It looks exactly like a Dig Dug style game. It looks like, the, like with the different colored underground. It looks like Dig Dug. But when you watch it, you'll instantly see there's a lot more going on here. It's like Dig Dug meets Bomberman. And there's scores and enemies and sprites flying all over the place. Things are blowing up. It looks exciting. There's special stages with extra points. And I could see this being a really fun game for us. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, you know, at this point, and I I would love to get more involved in them as well. But there's a lot of, like, on Discord, we have um, other shows on the Amigos network that do, uh, you know, high score contests and things like that. Maybe Pixel Guide should pick like modern classic games like this, and we do a high score on on Murtop, for example. Give yeah. these games some love because this is a classic game through and through with modern sensibilities, score challenge. It looks like a whole heck of a lot of fun to me. Yeah. I mean, it looks like it combines a lot of very old school 80s games. Like, I mean, there was even a little shoot 'em up kind of level in there i mean and it, it goes, it, yeah one of the special stages where you're this rabbit at the bottom of the screen collecting all these carrots and stuff as they fall i think if i saw it correctly yeah murtop murtop <laughs> i thought it was like murtop from lethal weapon i'm too old for this shizzle <laughs> shizzle <laughs> for nizzle <laughs> um you got this one speaking of the nes which we weren't yes so this is is has the potential to become a pretty big deal. Um, someone is going to sell this game called Super Tilt Bro, and it's they're going to come in a real Nintendo cartridge. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the cart itself has built-in Wi-Fi, so you can join your network at home, and you can play online with other people play this game online with other people on your original 40-year-old Nintendo console. Very cool. And the game is called Super Tilt Bro. But from what I understand, if this succeeds and does really well, um, they will just make other games with this. Because I guess the chip, the Wi-Fi chip that goes into this cartridge is pretty cheap. Um, okay. Yeah, Wi-Fi, I mean, yeah, they're pretty inexpensive. That. Yeah, so the chip is like dirt cheap, but they will basically pop it into cartridges and they'll start releasing physical cartridges for online gaming for NES. Now imagine that, like, you know how people will just download a ROM and put it on their cartridge. Yeah. And that's, that's fine. That's a perfectly good way to play, but this is the way to get people to buy original Nintendo cartridges. Like if it includes the Wi-Fi chip and all you got to do is put in your, your password and SSID for your Wi-Fi, and boom, you're on, you go into a lobby. I guess this has a very nice lobby where you know match you up with players and then you play people online. Boom. You just opened up your whole like super old system to, to just online gameplay. This would be amazing. I love the concept yeah. in reality. Let's pretend they sold this 2,000 of this game, which I doubt they'll sell that many. What are yeah. the chances you're going to be on when any one of those other 1,999 people are on? That's true, it's but gonna, you could organize it. It's going to be it. very slim. But yes, you like, could organize. I do love the technology. I love the concept. I just don't think it's going to be... Yeah. 
I mean, can you imagine like a three player, like a three or four player game? Like that one game we played on Nintendo where it was local co-op. Yeah. um, What was that game? Um, Killer Queen. Killer. No, 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 no. The one on Nintendo. um, It was the platformer. Yes. I do know what you're talking about, but I can't think of the name of it. Yep. But that one we played local co-op and it was awesome. We had a lot of fun, but imagine like, if you, me, and Tim could get, arrange to get on at the same time, we all had a cartridge. We pop it in there and we're playing online. That would be pretty, pretty amazing. It, it would, but then Tim would be playing like a lot slower than us. It wouldn't be fair because he's <laughs> over there in fifty hertz land. Yeah, true, <laughs> true. So anyway, I love the concept. I love the concept. I absolutely. I do. just think this is cool, and they could take a lot of multiplayer games from the past and convert them and reissue new cartridges. So what so I'm I, thinking too, though, at the same time, is that is all great, and I love everything you're saying. What would eventually happen is the new Evercade will come out with the Wi-Fi chip. We just need true. to get people making games for yeah. the Wi-Fi chip. Is basically what we're getting at. <laughs> yeah. Um, a couple more items here. I have a couple more real quick. So yeah. uh, anytime a big release comes out on the Commodore, we like to talk about it. So Pro Division recently came out with a game called Cursed Tomb. Where, uh, according to Indie Retro News, you enter an ancient grave of unknown origin in this Commodore 64 game by ProDivision. Um, so it sounds really atmospheric and cool. It is kind of pasted on, but it is one of these kind of these specific types of puzzle games I enjoy. Um, where if you see it and you've played these, you know exactly what they are. But they're these games where you press up, down, left, or right, and then your character goes all the way that direction until you hit a wall. And then you press up or down left, and then you hit a wall. And your goal is to collect yeah, all the coins. Yeah, yeah. And you can, it's kind of a it's a puzzle game, but with some timing elements because there's enemies and things as well that move around. Uh, and it's it, it's just good fun. <laughs> I I really do enjoy these types of games. And uh, this one looks like a solid one on the Commodore 64. It does. Um, not sure how much they're selling this one for. This type of game I typically wouldn't pay a ton for. And accurately, the yeah, uh, five ninety nine. So I think it's about the right price for something like this. Yeah, looks uh, good. Looks good. Curse looks really nice. Yeah. And then the last news item for this Mayo 2023. Eric, <laughs> there is a new, without looking, uh, maybe you already clicked on this. Hopefully not. There's I a new bur- There's a new bur- Burger Time game coming out for the Atari 400 because apparently the Atari 400 actually did not ever have a Burger Time. I don't believe. Okay. Because somebody huh. made a version of it. And okay. you can buy it on cartridge. And part of me is thinking we, we need to just buy this or Tim regardless because it's burger time. Yeah. Um, I think it's 40 bucks. We'll take a look here in a second. But guess what the name of the burger time clone for the Atari 400 just released is called? Um, I should have made a game show out of this and given you four names. That would have been fun. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. That is correct, Eric. It is called Beef Drop. <laughs> Beef drop. Beef drop. For only $40, you can own a brand new cartridge game for your Atari 400 of Beef Drop. Beef drop. But there it is. It looks like Burger Time. That it, it looks exactly like Burger Time. It is Burger Time, but it it's called Beef Drop. But it's Beef Amazing. Drop. And and instead of the uh, Mr. Pepper and everything, you have Mr. Yoke, Frank, and Mr. Dill. Frank, of <laughs> course, being a, a Frankfurter. That's crazy, a, and it was originally made by some guy named Ken Siders from 2005, so they must just be popping it on the cartridges now and selling them online. That's pretty cool. 
There you go. Yeah, I guess I guess it's, it's not really news. Um, so here we go. This new version of Burgerheim began life as an April Fool's joke in our Atari 5200 form, quickly turned into a real homebrew development effort. Um, originally released for the 5200, it was then updated to work with Atari 8-bit computers and the 7800. So, Wow. And then they had a beef drop label contest, and that's how they made this. See, I feel like we went the other direction. We had the Stringy Lori co- uh, cover made first. Exactly. And now the amazing award-winning game will come shortly after. Exactly. We just got to determine if we want to just keep it on the C16 plus four or move it to other platforms as well. I I think it needs to start on the C64 because this thing is going to take off and we need to go where the market is hot right now. That's right. Exactly. I think this needs to be a new Future Was 8-Bit release. Stringy Lori on the Commodore 64. It legit looks like a good game. So, Yep. That is the end of the news, Eric. Awesome. And more news to follow because the hits keep coming here on Pixel Guide N. Um, let's crack open our next beverage and right then on. we'll hop right on in to our battle of the systems just after that. So, so I'm not going to lie. I think I'm going to pour the rest of my Jameson out. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Not ideal, I know, but you got You got to do what you got to do. All right, what do you got there, Eric? I hear you're opening something. Yep. So what I have is another cerveza celebrating Cinco de Mayo, and this one is a popular one here and in Mexico. I imagine it is Pacifico, good old fashioned Pacifico. That is a good, good choice. So. We did have a Cinco de Mayo party at our house. We had, uh, it ended up being a lot of people because the, all the parents brought kids. So I think we had 20 something people over. Wow. And as That's we good, usually good like to do when we have fiestas, um, we all ended up over here singing karaoke till 2 a.m. in the morning and uh, wow. got quite for schnookered. And it was because of a huge uh, cooler full of Pacificos, both in can and in bottle. Nice. So I know that I one very well. In can. Yeah. All right, I'm yeah, pouring myself a dram. Oh, okay. So sorry. What what what's your experience with Pacifico, Eric? Since sorry, I'm no, I, I don't really talked have, over it. I mean, this is just a summer beer to me, and I do buy it occasionally in summer, especially when we're having like Mexican food or we're having a barbecue or something. It's an easy drinking uh, Mexican beer. There's really not much more to say about it. Um, it's brewed in Mexico. It is. I assume a lower ABV, although I can't find it on the bottle to save my life. In Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, I believe. Yep. Because I remember, I remember going f- to Puerto Vallarta and seeing the, the brewery. Yeah. We didn't go through it or anything, but I saw it. And I, right, of so. course, I put a lime in it. Sure. Cheers. I oh, mean, I don't you, do what, it, but what so are you I'm drinking, drinking there? I'm going to bourbon this time. Okay. And I'll... This is one of our current favorites, and it is Basil Hayden Dark Rye. Oh, it's in a wow. cool fancy, fancy bottle, little metal strap, and everything on here. Yeah, uh, artfully aged. It is very good. It is actually Basil Hayden is actually the high end, um, if you will, high end uh, owned by Jim Beam. Okay, so, Jim Beam is in my, not a good whiskey in my opinion, but this stuff absolutely is. But the Dark Rye specifically. Uh, so they do cheat a little. The finish is dark berries, it says, with notes of caramel, molasses, oak, and spice. It is a dark nice. bourbon, uh, and it 
is um, does have a bit of port in it, just a touch of port to give it an extra something. Yeah. So, anyways, cheers, my friend, and happy Cinco de Mayo. Easy drinking. Easy drinking. All right. So, what are you giving that out of five Cinco's of de Mayo? It's a good one. It's easy drinking, but it's middle of the lane. So, I'm going to give it probably three out of five Mayos. Three out of five Mayos, you say? Three out of five miles. Yep. I just told you how much I do love this one. Mm-hmm. It does have a sweetness that you can't drink a ton of it. I'd say one glass is plenty. I don't know if I could do two. I'm going to give it four and a half to Mayos. Wow. I can't give it quite that top level, but it is so good. It's got good. a lot going on. Yeah. It is... Uh, a tad sweeter than I'd like. Maybe a little more water would open it up a bit, but I love Basil Hayden Dark Rye. Let's go ahead and throw down our battle. Battle of the Systems! <laughs> Again, this month on our Battle of the Systems... We're looking at a couple of alternate mascot 3D platformers from the first 3D generation of uh, video game consoles. Banjo-Kazooie on the Nintendo 64 versus Spyro the Dragon on the PlayStation 1. Now, first of all, Eric, have you played either of these games before this battle? So Spyro is a game that whenever I get like a new PS1 system that I'm trying to troubleshoot or, or do, I, I will throw Spyro on there, but I've never played okay. it. I've never played it for more than 10 minutes, 15 minutes. You know minutes. level one very well. Yeah, exactly. So I never played it. Banjo-Kazooie, I've never, I think I might've loaded it up once or twice, never played it more than maybe a minute. And I'll tell you why when we get to it. <laughs> okay, interesting. It's interesting. nothing bad. It's it, in fact, I'll just tell you now. It, the cut, the the first cut scenes are brutal. I, I, I I'm just like, oh my god, what is this? Am I watching a movie here? <laughs> but I did get to the gameplay this time, so that's good. So anyway, that so no, I haven't played either of these games any significant time. And it's funny because both these games um, definitely come off at, at least on the surface level as very childlike games. Mm-hmm. These little kid games, but you hear about them constantly when it comes to the you know top ten games on these systems, and um, so I knew we were going to play some good games that mm-hmm. I haven't dug into before, and uh, yeah, let's dig into it. So, which one do you want to start with? You got some, you got some dry stats. I do have dry stats for both of them. Um, let's start with um, let's start with Banjo Kazooie. Um, yeah, and dare I say, like, these two are very popular games on each of their platforms. I mean, yeah, we, we can just spoiler alert. They're both good games. They're both good games. We're just go, we're going to try to see which one's better. But they're, you can't go wrong with either one of these games. They, they're, they're kind of the, the, the sub mascots for a reason on these systems. They're both very good. Yeah. So let's start with Banjo-Kazooie. So the dry stats are, this is developed by Rare, which Rare makes a lot of very, very good games. Um, <clears throat> the publisher, of course, is Nintendo, although there was another publisher later on, Microsoft. They published it on the Xbox 360. True. Um, 
Uh, I'm not going to go with the director and producers and all that stuff. I don't think that's that's pertinent to this discussion. Um, again, those are the two platforms that they came out on. Um, it is a single player game. There is no multiplayer game. Maybe when we talk about this, we'll get into why that's the case. Um, cause I do know that fact. Um, and it is a 3d, what they call a 3d platformer. So, and it, this came out in 1998. Yeah, and I'd say it's a true 3D platformer because the, the main thing you're yes. doing is trying to jump and get through a whole area. Um, yeah. So, yeah, what, what? how would you describe this game, the characters, the vibe? Yeah, so Banjo and Kazooie are the two players. And when I was doing my research for this game, I, I did watch a few other reviews on YouTube. And one of them was really annoying because he kept calling it Banjo and Kazooie. I don't know if you've ever heard anyone say that, but that's not the title. It's Banjo Kazooie. It's Banjo hyphen Kazooie. (laughs) (laughs) And so it like, it it was just bugging me every time you would say it. Um, So Banjo is a bear, right? Banjo is the bear. Yep. Banjo is a bear and Kazooie is a bird. And big obnoxious bird who has an attitude towards you the whole time type of bird he's a specific type of bird but i don't remember he's an orange bird yeah exactly (laughs) well he's a honey bear he's an easygoing brown honey bear and then there is a red crested breagle that was my second guess breagle i don't know what that is (laughs) um but is a game that is from um Man, so there are cutscenes in this game which are more like played out. Um, I don't yeah, they're not videos. They're they're three D. They're rendered in time. They're rendered in the game graphics, but yep. they're rendered in you know like almost like little skits that they do, and then there'll be uh, dialogue that isn't said. It is printed on the bottom of the screen. Next yeah, to while the, head while of the characters do that thing, you know, the the big bear goes. <laughs> And then the little exactly. one, and you have to read what they're actually saying below, which somehow works. I don't know how that works, but it really does work. So the whole goal of the game is you are you two are trying to rescue Banjo's younger sister Tootie um, from Gruntilda. Gruntilda is this witch, like this wicked witch. Um, and she's what she's trying to do is kind of the old classic trope of stealing yeah. Tootie's beauty and giving herself that beauty. Right. Um, and so what you're doing is you're going around this world. The game, uh, has nine, three dimensional worlds. Real quick. Um, I want to talk about the intro scene again here, because this kills oh, me, right? Please. So go ahead. The, the, and I'm not talking about the gameplay necessarily here, but we'll get to it. But the, basically, you know, you, the, there's limitations to how much area you can put in a game on the Nintendo 64. So these are definitely smaller, like arenas almost like, or large arenas. If you want to look at that way or small worlds. Yeah. But it's funny because this girl, Tootie, is playing in her front yard and her buddy, this mole, comes up and they're like, "Who? what is that? Right? And this witch is flying down from the sky, clearly from her house, which, by the way, her house is carved into a cliff about 200 yards away from their house. Right. And they've never seen this person before. They never realized that her cave is a huge green head shaped like her head. Like, what, <laughs> right. what do you mean? Who is this? And uh, and if there's a huge evil witch living across from you 200 yards away, why do you play outside? Why do you let your your sister play outside? Where are the parents? 
I have so many questions about the storyline, exactly. but okay. Anyways, let's get past the story here. Um, so basically, you're traversing this, trying to pick these things called jiggies, which are jigsaw puzzle pieces, um, and or you're collecting musical notes. Um, and basically, you're just going through the game, trying to find Tootie and save Tootie, and you run across enemies. You have a kind of a you have a an attack, of course. Um, and the, game, and it's the a, game's a collect them up. Ultimately, the game's a, a 3D platformer collect them up. You have to collect absolutely a certain amount of jigsaw puzzles, a certain amount of coins, a certain amount of these bolts, all these little things to collect, which does work. I do enjoy it. Um, but I would say the key to the game is there's a ton of moves, and they do explain them to you slowly but surely. But you have to kind of know all the moves to get through this game. And there, there literally is. Um, and I wrote this in my notes here. Let me look at my notebook here. Um, there is 14 special moves, and they get unlocked as you talk to... I don't remember. There's so many different characters in this game, and I always forget the names of the characters. The mole, but, I think, teaches you... St- I don't think they get unlocked, but the mole teaches you what to do. And Exactly. You don't yeah. know about the move until he teaches you the move. Um, and then once you know that move, you do have to know these moves to progress through different parts of the of the game. Um now I'm just going to kind of speak from the cuff here. This is one of the often the N64 gets criticized for the visuals. Like they talk about the Vaseline effect and the and the just the way that N64 games look. This game looks awesome. This is one of the wow, best looking Eric. games. This this is one of the best looking <laughs> games you're going to find on the Nintendo 64. The textures are crisp. There's no, there's no like um, screen splitting to me. I mean, you know the, the kind of like. You, um, did you play it on the Nintendo sixty four? I did. There's a story behind that Good. though. I started because I was on the road doing doing volleyball stuff, so I took my Steam Deck, which runs N sixty four games perfectly. Um, I took it. And I started playing on the on the Steam Deck, and I was having the worst time. And oh, I was really? just okay. like, this, this is horrible. I don't know how to control this. I don't know how to control the camera. This is garbage. I went home and then immediately booted it on my N64. And using the actual controller makes a world of difference. Yeah, I could have to click in your head, yeah. Yeah, this game needs the N64. It's designed for the N64 controller. The Steam Deck one just isn't going to cut it. So I actually ended up playing it. um, Same kind of thing. I didn't okay. really get a chance to get, to come over here and play this game, so I ended up playing it on the Xbox because it's mm. part of the Xbox Gold right now. Okay. So, um, but the Xbox controls are set up really well, where it feels. I mean, I could see how it would work with the Nintendo sixty four controller, the weird tri- trident thing. Yeah, but it works well on the, on the Xbox as well. And see, I was playing the N sixty four version on the Steam Deck, which has kind of the Xbox style controllers. Yep. If I would have played the Xbox version on the Steam Deck, I'm sure it would have been much better. Yep. Yep. So, but once I went to the N64, I mean, I was glad I did. It it, it gave me a, more of an appreciation for the controller, and and I wasn't even using the original controller. I was using the um, what was it, the Retro Fighter N64 controller? You know the. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a great controller. But using that, even using that, made a world of difference, and yeah, so it was intuitive. Once I had that, um, I, I was off to the races. It worked. It worked perfectly after that. And 
for listen, these are early 3D games, so you're not going to have like the twin stick kind of deal where you move with one stick and you move the camera with the other one and it's very fluid and it works great. Those are mo- that's modern that's a modern thing that happens, right? Um they were still figuring this stuff out here, you know, in in this time era. But this works so games. much better than so many other games of the era. Absolutely. So they really they did a much better they did it very well on this than most 3D games of the era. And you can, um, now what I did is you can go into the settings and choose how you want the camera to work. Okay. I did this on both games. Um, so you can have it just purely follow you directly from behind. But even when you do that, is where a lot of games fail. When you go up to certain areas, they have vantage points the camera goes to. It's yeah. like, all right, we're not going to go behind you here because you won't be able to see yourself. So we're going to keep the camera here while you go in this area. Like it, it, it's predetermined. It figures it out for you ahead of time. So it works quite well. Yeah. Um, uh, what I'll say is once you get into these, you go into these different worlds. Yeah. Um, they're kind of, it's kind of seamless. You kind of, uh, you know, found, found, find this new world when you're in there, there's three doors and you have to get a certain amount of things to open those doors. And then, uh, there's some, a little bit of not, I wouldn't say backtracking as much as, um, you do have to, there's puzzles and you kind of have to figure out how to get the doors open, how to find a certain amount of things to get to this part and, and then hop into this area and, um, learn the different moves. There's hills that you can climb up. Uh, we haven't talked about one of the main points, but how the game works. Uh, but it, it is bizarre because you are the bear and you have a backpack and the bird hangs out in your backpack. And so even though you're two characters, you, you act as one. So if you, uh, you know, jump and hold a button, you kind of float down with the bird flying to help you. Uh, there's a press down and jump to do like a super jump. There's a combination of buttons you press where the bird, uh, actually, picks you up and starts walking so the bird can walk faster and therefore you can go up hills that as the bear you'd only be able to slide down uh the bird can hop out of your backpack and shoot these blue eggs but you have to collect a lot of blue eggs because you they're ammo and you use them up but there's all kinds of different um uh things to collect and puzzles like right now we're looking at this monkey and yeah he's throwing things at you and you got to have him throw things at you when you're on top of these buttons so his orange oranges he's throwing at you hits the buttons it's clever um, however, you will spend a lot of time in an area trying to collect all the things. So I would yeah. say it takes like half hour to 45 minutes in an area that if you just chose to run around it, you could run around in probably a minute and a half and you'll be in that area for a while figuring out how to get everything, um, how to unlock things, how to get all the things you need to open some other things. But, um, really cool a- enemy animations, um, a lot of character in each of the, you know, in, in each of the enemies and, and, and Banjo and, and Kazooie, I guess. Banjo, Kazooie, Banjo and Kazooie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you can spend a lot of time collecting things, trying to collect everything in this game. Yeah. And I will say they ease you into um, <clears throat> learning all the new special moves. Um, the game never felt super difficult to me. I mean, they, they eased you into almost everything. So the the difficulty curve was, I think, done very well. This game, while it's cartoony and and I, I want to say more kind of kitty, it the, the the challenge does wrap up. I mean, it's not the easiest, especially in a three D environment. The platforming in certain areas is not the easiest in the world. Um, 
it can get frustrating. Not that it's not fair, but yeah, you can you can try to make a jump over and over and over again and throw your controller out of anger because you're just not you are failing yeah. to do it right. Correct. I wouldn't say but it's, it never I wouldn't felt say the, unfair. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Um. No, I, I I can see why this was a very very popular game. I mean, I. Again, I think it's probably one of the better games on the system. And I I didn't get super far in this game. I think I played it for maybe three hours. Um, there's a lot to this game, though. I think that, that it would have... Like, if I had had an N64 back in the day, I think this would have been a game that I would have enjoyed. Yeah, I think you're going to get a lot of time out of this. And it's, it's got the modern sensibilities of games that in this generation where they kind of started changing, kind of that Mario sensibility, so... You don't, when you fail, you don't lose progress. You yeah. just, you know, oh, shoot, I lost all my lives. Do you want to continue? Oh, sure. Great. Well, here's where you left off pretty much. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You still have all the stuff you collected. You know, you can keep working at it. Turn off the system, turn it back on, you'll go right back there. I put about five or six hours into it, and I got basically right before this point we're looking at now, um, yeah. which this is a, you know, a full game of somebody who knows what they're doing. So it took them an hour and four minutes to just to get to this point and it looks like their playthrough is in four hours and 11 minutes meaning that's probably about 20 hours of gameplay for if we you and i were to try to just play all the way through it yeah uh for the first time but yeah did, you learn to fly you, you learn to make a jump you learn to do all these things and uh um, yep and every time you could solve a puzzle it feels good you get that kind of yeah pat on the back and from the, yourself kind of feeling and the puzzles aren't puzzle-y if that makes sense they're they're organic. Well, they're they're like natural environment puzzles. Yeah. How am I going to get up to that cliff? I can't figure it out yet. Let's see. Figure it out. Oh, cool. Now I have an ability. I can get here, but I still can't figure out how to get up there. So what's what am I looking for? Oh, there's a little hole in the wall over there. How do I fly over there? Great. Oh, I see. Now there's a spring that launches me up to that place I was trying to get. That kind of a thing. And, yeah, and that those kind of puzzles are not the puzzles I mind. When I talk about how I hate puzzles in gaming, it's hey, here's a like a c- combo lock and you have to figure out how to move the little slider things. I don't like that. <laughs> I, this kind of thing is fine. Yeah. Cause you're Very basically well using all your gameplay elements to actually solve the quote unquote puzzles. Um, so yeah, no, I, I enjoyed playing this game quite a bit. Um, I, I think it looks fantastic. It sounds fantastic. Um, every, you know, everyone says, talks about the jokes, like in the, in the gameplay. First of all, the gameplay does, the game does have a lot of cutscenes, um, especially in the beginning. I mean, there's a whole story that goes on. You, I don't think you can pass it. Um, story is cheesy. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, it's matter. Cheesy. The game talks about its kind of humor. Um, I don't know. The humor kind of fell flat to me. I mean, it was like, okay, I, it, none of the jokes were like. I, I even remember because they're not that memorable. Um, yeah, like there's this one, um, Grundhilda's or whatever her name was, Grun, whatever. Her, her sister is like the good witch. Yeah. And her ho- only job in every level, she shows up all the time and you just go up to her and she'll tell you some lame story about her sister. It's supposed to be funny. Like her nickname in high school was Ugly Bumps or I don't know. Just kind of kind of be trying to be edgy but without offending anybody who's seven at the same time you know she brushes her teeth with dog food oh hilarious (laughs) right or whatever you know it's it's um, like trying to be edgy but you're on a nintendo system so well we could play conquerors bad fur day which is also on nintendo system that's true we're gonna have to get there one of these days i have not played any of that game but uh 
Yeah. I was thinking about picking that one, but I don't think it was a fair comparison. So, yeah. This is a more accurate comparison. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the game in a nutshell. Um, yeah, it's I solid. It. It's yep. younger, but the challenge is there for anybody. Um, it's fair, but challenging. Mm-hmm. And you can come back to it. You'll get a lot of gameplay out of it. But it doesn't necessarily blow me away. It does basic things well. Yeah. That's kind of where I fall on it. Cool. Um, what's our rating system going to be, Eric? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. What, what year did this, what year did the, this come out? 1998. On each one of these levels, you have to, you have to, well, they're both collect them ups. So what do yeah. they both have in common? What do they both collect? This one collects weird stuff. Blue wigs and skulls and music jiggies. notes and, and jiggies. Yeah. <laughs> Getting jiggy well, with it? Let's do jiggies. Let's, do, let's get jiggy with it. We're going to get jiggy with it. Okay. Let's do 1,998 jiggies. But this game ain't one. Out of, <laughs> out of almost 2,000 jiggies. Yeah. I will give this, and I'm going to go percentage score in my head. Um... Sixteen twenty-five. Sixteen twenty-five. I'm actually going to give this one. That's about right. Honestly, I think you're. I think you. I think you nailed it. Nailed I'm going to say sixteen hundred. Sixteen hundred from Eric. All right, let's hop onto the dry stats for Spyro the Dragon. Yep. So let me do that. Let me cue that up. Let me write. I'll that ask down. you this question. Now yeah. that we've played it, are you going to go back to it? <clears throat> I think I will. Okay. I liked it. I, I actually liked it a lot. I, I I do criticize the N64 a lot because I have not found a lot of games I really like on it. And you keep saying that, and you're always surprised every time we play one. You're like, it was actually really good. So you need yeah, to just get true. past that mental block. Well, that's what, I love about, that's what I love about the podcast is I'm introduced <laughs> to things I probably wouldn't play normally and I do get pleasantly surprised and I'm man enough to admit when I'm wrong. And uh, mm. so I, I actually like this. I think I would go back and, and try to com- like get further. I don't know if I'll complete it, but I, I'd like to get further along. Yeah. Cool. Let's talk about Spyro the Dragon, another game from 1998. Um, so these both came the out right. solidly in 1998. Yeah, that's convenient. Um, the developer on this game was Insomniac Games. The publisher was, of course, Sony Computer Entertainment. Um, oh, the composer. I didn't know this. I just saw this in my, in my dry notes. Yeah. The composer is Stuart Copeland. Yep. Drummer extraordinaire from the police. Please. Excellent. He actually did uh, quite a few video game soundtracks, which is interesting. Yeah, he did. The um, Sims. He did what? What did you say? He did music for The Sims as well. Oh, did he? I didn't know that. Interesting. This only came out on the PlayStation. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, this was Sony exclusive, just like Banjo-Kazooie yeah. was a Nintendo exclusive. Yep. Once again, this is single player only. So this is a 3D platform game. Um, the Basically, you are playing a Spyro the Dragon um, you are trying to defeat 
Nasty Nork, which is a All bad right. guy who somehow, and this is what this is in my notes here. Um, he like froze all the other dragons. Did he freeze them or he turned them into emeralds? Turned them into like uh, statues. Yeah, he like kind of turned all the other dragons into statues. So you're going around the world trying to free um, the dragons. And this one is kind of similar in that if there's six dragon home worlds that you traverse, um, you can get to the different worlds using a hot air balloon. Um, Again, it's a 3D game, so you're going around the 3D environment, and it is also a collectible-style game. You do have a little guy that flies around. What is that thing next to you, like a fairy or something? Dragonfly. Dragonfly, that's right. Dragonfly. (laughs) I'm I'm an idiot. Um, (laughs) Oh, they're crystallized dragons, by the way. Oh, um, way off. um, So anyway... That's that's the game. You're trying to free all your other dragon friends. And the funny thing is when you do free them, they do always have something to say to Spyro and they all have different voices and stuff like that. Um, and you're going There's around lots the world. Of, and this one, because you're talking to things, they're very small interactions, but yes. they're little verbal interactions. And they actually ha- they actually speak. There's not Unlike Banjo, it's not just um, words below them. That's right. That's right. And yep. and they kind of they kind of wisecrack at each other. I'd say the humor is... Also young, but it's a little more enjoyable than Bandit Kazooie, which is. This, I, I think I, you're I right. Yeah, you know, it's more. I, it's it's almost like they're not funny, trying. But it's kind of. Huh. They're not trying to be like super funny or edgy. They're just trying to be like, I don't know, a little humorous. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just conversationally humorous. Like there'll be a dragon that is forgetful or like he's old. So he doesn't remember everything. Oh, is that Spyro? Yeah. Like, like he, like stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's humorous, but without like the blatant, like slappy in the face jokes. Yeah. Um, this game seemed to me, and I don't, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It seemed to move faster to me. Would you say that? I think I, yes. But I think a large part of that is the camera is much closer to Spyro. And the camera yes. is constantly moving because yeah. you're mo- you're moving, so it feels yeah, it feels kind of twitchy. Yeah, this game um, is a typical PS one game where the the visuals. Uh, and by the way, when you're going around collecting things, you're collecting jewels. You're opening chests. Collect um, jewels of all different colors. Yep. Um, Some orbs and things as well. Yep. There are um, like things like little whirlwinds and tornadoes and stuff that take you different places. Um, and you're basically trying to hunt down all of these dragons and freeing the dragons um, is basically. You can, a- you can charge. By yep. the way, you can charge. You can kind of tail whip. When you charge, you run fast, a little harder to control, but you charge through enemies. You can breathe fire. Um, and it's kind of little rock, paper, scissors. Some of the enemies, you can only damage them by charging, not by fire. Other ones, you can only damage by fire, not by charging. You can also jump and then hit A again and then, or whatever button X again, I don't know, cross and then float down with your wings. Um, and that's the majority of the moves, I believe. I don't think there's a ton more than that. Um, no, there's no special moves like in Banjo Kazooie. Um, you still have to learn how to use all your moves to be yes. able to really be successful in the game, but there's no like real s- special moves. Um, to me, the game, I don't want to say doesn't look as good as Banjo Kazooie. Oh, I, I think it does. I was going to say, okay, it, to me, it, it's, 
it's exactly that. And to me, this has always been my, and I thought it might just be because I'm biased or whatever, but um, now don't get me wrong, for a PlayStation game, it looks great. I just always felt that the PlayStation had these these 3D graphics that kind of looked like a whole bunch of panels trying to hold themselves together and never quite staying there. Like they kind of waft, like the dragon's talking looks like, right. like they're made of origami paper and they're just kind of flapping around. Yeah. Whereas on the Nintendo 64, I know it's got the Vaseline effect, but outside of that, they look like solid objects. I don't know how to explain it better than that. Um, and then just kind of like Crash Bandicoot or a lot of other games on the PlayStation, even like the lettering kind of wafts around a little bit and everything just kind of feels loose. I don't know how to explain it better than that. Um, yeah. One thing to me, ver- and I'm just going to compare this to Banjo-Kazooie since the the battle, I'm not trying to compare it to any other yeah. PS1 game or any other N64 game. Um, compared it, comparing it to Banjo-Kazooie, the worlds are sparser. Um Yeah. There's more empty spaces, right? And that makes sense because Spyro can charge and and do other things. But in that, there does seem to be like what you're what you're talking about, like a looser environment. One thing that's weird is they seem to focus a lot on how Spyro looks, and he looks great. Yeah, but then not everybody else. Like they at the at the risk of like making everybody else not look as good, <laughs> if that makes sense. Gotcha. Um, Again, the world seems a lot more sparse, like there's wider open spaces. But what that leads to, like what you were talking about, is the textures aren't as detailed and they're not as colorful and they don't look as good. They look kind of um, Shaky. like what you're saying, like looser, but almost like panels. Like you can see the you can see the polygons almost yeah. like where where um, Banjo-Kazooie doesn't 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 i mean it doesn't break the the fourth wall (laughs) yeah um but not to say this isn't fluid it's very fluid especially for a ps1 game um the game and the gameplay is king the gameplay is very fluid so i mean you're not gonna have any slowdowns you're not gonna have any any problems but we should bring up the the graphic fidelity i mean it doesn't look i i feel i don't think it looks as good and there's definitely platforming in this game as well, but I will say that it is more about action and I wouldn't, I guess combat would be the word. You're, there's a lot more enemies yeah. and they're, they're not just following a path like they are in Banjo-Kazooie. They're more a whole bunch of enemies in the area and uh, kind of you have to figure, you have to use your reflexes and get in there and attack them in different ways. And it's more combat oriented than it is um, than Jan- Banjo-Kazooie, which is more focus on just the platforming with some enemies. Yep. Um, now with Spyro, he can fly. So that brings an extra dimensionality to, to his movement. He can float. He can float. He can glide. glide <laughs> much. Yeah. That's the word we're looking at. Yeah. And then he I would say glide. the kind of the, the feel of this game too, whereas Banjo-Kazooie is more like, Hey, here's one area. You're going to spend a lot of time in this area. This one, you're burning through kind of small areas all the yeah. time. That's There's a ton tr- that's of true. little small areas, and you go through a you go through a gate, and then all of a sudden it whisks you off to another small area, and you kind of blow through that and kill enemies, and then go through another small area. Um, and then both these games, of course, when you press press start or whatever, you get to see because they're collect 'em ups. You get to see how many gems you have, how many of these you found, how many keys you have, whatever. Yeah. And you're constantly like, all right, I'm gonna have to come back. I can't find this yet. Maybe I need an ability somewhere else or something. And uh, how many dragons have I unlocked? So they're both similar in that respect as well. Yeah. 
I'd say the colors I, on this are more pastel, which actually <laughs> I think I, I love the color palette. Whereas Banjo Kazooie is kind of in your face, kind of a primary um, colors. play school. Blo- yeah, play school block primary reds, blues, greens. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So how did so, you I enjoy mean, this one? I I did enjoy this one, and I um I, I liked playing it. Like I said, I probably have more experience with this just from loading it up many times in the past and looking at it and playing it. Um, um, I'm going to say a little harder to control. Now I think about it as well. Yeah. I don't think the controls are quite as tight in this one. And the camera is not quite as impressive as it is in Banjo Kazooie. Same thing on this one. I had to set this one oppositely. I need to, I had to set this one where it just follows behind me because otherwise it got to the point where you're trying to like, barely nudge spiral one direction, then you wait for the camera to catch up before you kind of go straight to make a jump. Yeah. Yep. Um, so how I, I did enjoy this game. I'm not sure I enjoyed it as much as Banjo Kazooie, um, which is odd for me because I'm a big, I was a big PS one fan and I didn't, I didn't know anyone that had an N64. So I never played N64 back in the day. Um, but I, I think I enjoyed playing Banjo-Kazooie a little bit better. Um, that's not to say this is a bad game at all. This might be one I go back to too. It is very yeah. fast and fluid. It, it, it really is a great game on the PS1. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think this one, I, I think I liked Banjo-Kazooie a little bit better. Interesting. So I had yeah. the opposite thing. I was always a Nintendo 64 guy. I still yeah. feel like Nintendo 64 on the whole has better games. It's more because uh, mm-hmm. it's got a lot of first party Nintendo stuff. And I still feel like the games are more structurally sound, gameplay sound. But I had a blast with this one. And to yeah. me, this one, this is the one I'm going to come back to first. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Good. What, one thing I liked better about Spyro over Banjo Kazooie. I really did like the unlocking of the dragons because they're like almost like little mini accomplishments all throughout the game. So yeah, when you go yeah. into a level, you see that dragon up on a pedestal somewhere and you're like, there it is. I'm going yep, to get it. I'm going to get that. It was just sure. easier to find the goal. You know what I mean? Um, which gives you a, a sense of satisfaction. And there are a lot of them. So you find them quite often. So I'll agree with that. I would feel like the accomplishments were more substantial in Banjo. But the frustrations in between were more ready or more common because this game, you're, yeah, you were constantly like, cool, now I've got eight dragons. Now i got nine dragons. Oh, cool. I found this thing. Oh, cool. And you're always like, yes, yes, yes. It's like constant gratification with this game. Yeah. Maybe that's why I liked it more. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I was just in, the, in a, a period of my week that I needed instant gratification. <laughs> no, and this is a great game. So, I mean, my score is going to be very close. Um, so what is it? So if I'm what picking, the, I picked sixteen hundred. I'm gonna make like this well, one. Probably. You picked sixteen hundred. What? Um, jiggies. Jiggies. <laughs> sixteen hundred jiggies. Um, I'm gonna pl- place this one. Probably. The, I'm just gonna make it round fifteen hundred jiggies. I'm gonna go with seventeen sixty. So you like Spyro better? That surprises yes. me. Yes. That's a big surprise to me. I prefer the Spyro. I'm surprised as well. I am also. I don't know. That just uh, had. I don't know. I think I got in banjo. I kind of got lulled to sleep in some of those areas where once you kind of yeah. got most of the stuff, you're like, "Where's the last thing? Where's the last thing?" 
And this one just kind of kept moving and kept me going, yes, what's the next? Yes, what's the next? So there we go. Battle of the Systems, ultimately pretty darn close. Yeah. But because Both of our guesses were a surprise to each of us, though. I figured you'd pick the N64 game and I'd pick the PS1 game. So that's, that's I actually don't cool. know. I actually don't know which one won. I have to do some math. <laughs> Hold on. We got 1600 and 1600 plus 25. Then over here we got 15 and 17, which is essentially 16 plus 60. So yeah, it only won by a couple, like, what is it, 35 points? Spyro. Yeah, so Spyro won, though, right? Barely. Yeah. If we add our points together, barely. That doesn't make me sad. I mean, I like Spyro. No, I think it's a good really game. Good. I think it's a solid game, too. Cool. Awesome. All right, everybody. Well, that is an episode of Pixel Gaiden for the first episode in May. On our next episode, remember, Eric and I are getting back together. Unfortunately, still no Tim. Uh, we are going to go ahead and, of course, do some quick questions. We've got some doozies coming up. Cody's Corner, where I talk about sports games, retro nice. sports games, which sounds boring, and maybe I'll address that, but there's some gems in there. Um, Eric and I are going to catch up on what we've been up to, and then we have a six good games segment. We're going to talk about six good games with weird licenses. Yeah. Whatever that means to you. Exactly, because <laughs> it, it was a hard definition to nail down. So I, uh, I just took the liberty of just doing it like whatever I wanted. So it, <laughs> that's, they're weird that's licenses. That's the beauty but, of it. Yeah, weird licenses. Exactly. Cool. For the time being, we'll see you guys in 15 days on the 30th. But until then, remember, it's, it's dangerous, dangerous to, to go, go alone. alone. Thank you again for listening. You can find episode information and show notes online at pixelguiden.com. Please follow us on Twitter at pixel underscore guiden. And you can also follow Eric at the project. That's D-U-H project. You can also follow Cody on Twitter at oddball49. That's O-D-D-B-A-1149. You can reach Tim Drew as well on Twitter at sanction. That's S-A-N-X-I-O-N. If you are interested in supporting the show financially, please join us at our Patreon account. That's patreon.com forward slash pixelguiden. Please leave a review to help get our podcast listed higher up on the show rankings. We would also love to hear from you with any comments or input. So hit us up on our email at podcast at pixelguiden.com. I'll get you next time, Pixel Gaiden.